You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week we take a look at the life and career of Daniel Craig and his role as Detective Benoit Blanc in Ryan Johnson's Knives Out from 2019. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Bondzilla podcast. Quarantine edition. Quarantine edition. Yes, Will and I have been uh, hold up. I am Nick, by the way, of yeah. course. W- I'm, and I'm Will. And, and uh, what, we, we uh, have been holed up in this apartment now for just... Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Yeah, I mean, you, you can, we can exit it. You know, it's, fu- <laughs> it's funny because, like, um, I, I, was at, I, I was doing... Um, a tar- I was doing a target run for essential needs. Yes. And uh and um it was just funny because I was um in the uh in the line and uh the guy the the guy who you pay. Yeah, the cashier. He, he gives the cashier. You, the cashier yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, he was like he's like, Oh yeah, it's like uh how how's it going? And I was like, Well, I mean, you know, you still go out and get stuff. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, all things considered, not not too not too bad. Do you do you have a favorite quarantine story yet? Um, because what many of you don't know is that the Bonzilla podcast, like, we're actually secretly preppers. So we had a studio all planned. We're out in the wilderness right now. Yeah. We're in a bunker, ten Cloverfield Lane style. Uh. Frankly, we just kind of set it up as a recording studio, so we didn't really set it up. We prepped it, right? And we, there were... we, pre- we prepped to record more. We didn't prep for anything else, which is hence why I'm right. still going out to. We target. did have a little bit of toilet paper there because you know these recording sessions can yeah. get a little long sometimes. Isn't, so we did. Isn't that really funny? That of everything, technically speaking, we probably had a surplus of that. Like before all this happened, yeah, yeah. We like when we, we looked just... at everything, it was like you and I collectively had more toilet because I ended up giving some away, yeah, like to my like girlfriend, like she needed some. So it's like I was like, well, we have plenty, right? And it's like, well, it was just like that was like the thing that everybody was buying, and we were like, well, we we just like stocked up on it, like just you know. Because we even, just had it, we just had it. Yeah, we, yeah. we just had it. We were with already it. stocked up. On which, it. which I thought was now funny. the only thing has been really the the, the two things have been really like uh, just the the six feet apart lines at Target. Yeah, which are absurd. Yeah, because there's no way that people like you see people start creeping because they're like. I had lines. that same thought today too. I had that same thought where I was like, of everything, this is the least sustainable thing because it's like eventually people are just gonna get lazy they're gonna and, creep. They, and they're gonna creep people like like because it's just people are gonna go like what they do at when they're at like disneyland or at some attraction or at right. some like normal line where you're gonna do the six feet apart thing but then you kind of start stepping a little bit like just to like make sure you're still kind of moving right. and even though it's like it is gonna move everybody will move all right you know people are like go like you've got room it's like yeah we're all gonna get there at the same time right you know? right so, yeah uh but then it's also i guess like that that's I've, ta- funny. I've taken some walks around the neighborhood and there's a lot of chalk messages that oh kids, really that kids have put out oh interesting they're like 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 keep smiling and like there's like one of those book like you know like one of those like 
birdhouses that you can put a book in, and then like you take like, a book exchange. Where is that? Oh, I know, I know where that is. At, is like, that... like right outside a house somewhere. Yeah, and there, and then there's like a thanks for leaving a book or yeah. take a book if you like or. You know, it's no, no, a, I'm I'm familiar with with those. There's one in Silver Lake. That yeah, I've actually there was one out a in our area, from. and it was just like there's like a lot of chalk messages. It was kind of sweet. The other favorite thing that actually, uh, well, favorite, not so favorite. The other uh, thing about quarantine and everything mm-hmm. um, is definitely now more so than ever. Most of us are uh, either not working or have very limited work. Um, uh, which is a whole nother conversation, but part of that conversation is that, um, you know, having the internet at your disposal is a blessing and a curse at times. Absolutely. The 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 influx of information. Well, that's also a blessing of a curse. But you know, ultimately, it's good. You're you're all informed. We're all connected. Yeah. You can get back. But you also have access to uh, purchases <laughs> and the ability to buy things. Amazon, shipping, uh, right. eBay, anything you have the access to. Well, especially because, like, like, Amazon has kind of, like, gone into that, like, you know, only essential things are being shipped, like, until, you know, further date. Wait, this what? Was, when was this? This was a couple weeks ago. No. Like, last week? No. No, that can't be. Because I've, I've, I've ordered things off of Amazon. And it's Because, and it, like, when I've tried, when I've just curiously looked, it says you'll probably get this in April. Oh, I think that's just because – I don't know if that's, like – is that because of, like, it's essential or is it just because, like, there's such a backlog of, like – Maybe. I don't know. I, 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 I thought I thought they had said that they're basically moving on to, like, only essential purchases. They may be prioritizing Essential those. purchases. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But I've ordered things, and they've been here. Maybe because – I yeah. don't know. Cause you're that was probably when they were still paying everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But like eBay and stuff, like eBay right, is still, right. it's like eBay and like postal services are still basically like open. Right. So I, I mean, I bought an album off of eBay and that came but, in. But th- if anything, this, this, this time has really highlighted a lot of poor behavior on all of our parts. You're going to, um, you're going to call me what, out on no, this? What? No, okay. no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, you, I mean, listen. You want to get part of the Animal Crossing craze? That's your problem. I just know you're not going to keep it up. I, I it's even, you're not going to keep it up. It's very easy to keep this one up though uh-huh. on the Switch. It's so different. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it is. I actually, it, it probably is different when it's like so handheld and yeah. you need, and especially now, like Animal Crossing is such like a time killing game. It is, um, and I, I also feel like it's just like it's. This is solely off off the rails right now, but like, I think it's just like culture has evolved where it's like. You're kind of used to like doing little things on your phone, like even just a few moments. Yeah. Of, like, like looking at like a mobile game or something. I yeah. feel like Animal Crossing is like in that realm where you really can just pick it up, go sell some things real quick, and then put it down, or you can have like an extended like here, right. like really putting my town town together. And it's also like because like Animal Crossing is so like maintenance and home and day by day, it kind of yeah. makes the this day by day, yeah. I assume a little bit better. I mean, and the internet speaks for itself. The only Everybody's other thing I'll say on it. Animal Crossing and the purchase and stuff is like, I've gotten so used to like playing like Smash or playing Mario Kart like while I have something else on or while something else is going on. Right. So there's some kind of thing where it's like before it's like okay, well if I want to watch a movie, then I have to like play games and then watch the movie. You right. know, but like with the Switch, it really is like oh I can like put this movie on or put this show on. Oh, I mean that's the and, best part and about then, it. Yeah. And then play. So I think it's just. I'll be a little bit more into this Animal Crossing thing. Well, I, I did purchase that basically like 
FOMO kind of like everybody else is playing it's it. Hard. It seems like it's really fun, and I was just like, you know what? I mean, pop it down the sixty. I, I I'm loving everybody having fun with it. Animal Crossing has just never been my thing, but I get it. Like I get the appeal. Yeah. My my girlfriend is like she she's right on the edge. She's right on the edge of like the decision yeah. that you're that you're you're about to make to or you made. Um, but the the thing it's funny because a lot of people have already joked about it that a lot of the bad behaviors are like. Um, a you finding out that maybe one of your hobbies is just like going out to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you or just been, just such yeah. a part of your regular routine. Yeah, yeah just, like, just like, oh, like, let me just go having, having to eat home every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I've definitely. Well, I mean, but I think you can still do takeout. Which you can is do nice. takeout, which is good, but you do start to realize that a lot of your days, like. I need something to do. Let me go out for lunch. Yeah. That's my just thing. Just to get to do. out. Because it's like just yeah. to get out. Right, right. Which I still encourage everybody to do. I mean, you know, I, I get a lot of anxieties happening right now, but I do encourage everybody. And, and not even me. I think this has kind of been like said. It's like go out for a walk around your block. Just yeah. around your block. That's just, all you need. Just just around your block. Uh, you know, maintain respectful distances. Wash your hands is yeah. the big thing. Um, but the other uh poor um uh behavior is just buying stuff which is so funny that everything is closed and yet we're still we can still succumb to buying stuff well, I mean, it's just so easy but i mean that's to the buy thing that's the thing though is, is that like now is the time more than ever where people are like well we can't sell our stuff in places right you know so it's like because like you know disney has been very much like their shop disney website they've like things that were definitely supposed to be like um there's another like Funko coming out, mm-hmm. and it was definitely supposed to be like you know one of the park exclusive Funkos come to the park on April 10th, and you'll get it's like uh, I have the Alice in Wonderland in uh, Alice in the teacup, and they're mm-hmm. coming out with the Cheshire Cat in the teacup. And it was definitely supposed to be hey come out, go ahead and get to the fu- park for the Funko. Now that the parks aren't open, they're just like okay, well it's going to be an online exclusive on April right. 10th and stuff like that, and like. I, I'm going through the whole thing of like WWE has like doing nonsense with their wrestling with WrestleMania supposed to come out next week and and that's a whole other podcast. Mm-hmm. But they've started to release all the shirts and stuff that they were gonna be selling on WrestleMania weekend in Tampa online because it's just like well we need somewhere to put it. Right, right. Well, I mean it's just it's just funny because it's like it's just so easy to like buy something when you're bored. It is. Yeah. I, 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 believe you, me, I understand you, it's I, no, an I extremely first-world problem. I get it. I understand. Like, I'm, still, I'm still looking at records like yeah. I can get off of eBay because, you know, you, you kind of imagine, okay, well, it's something to kind of be excited about because right. that's the thing, too. It's like there's so much uncertainty, and it's like we all hope that we are able to get through this, but it's not like – because it's also – the thing about this is that you're so used to having, like – something to look forward to it's like oh well you know this movie was supposed like obviously this week we were supposed to go feasting you know no time to die right so it's right, like you kinda, right you kind of had that or it's like oh this thing's coming to disneyland or you know it's like oh well like i'm gonna get together with friends later see, this week but see the thing is but like you still something to get look forward to that like, when you buy something it's like something's gonna be coming to me and i can like i can look no, forward but, to a date but i think it's just worse because like if you just want to go buy something like let's say just any frivolous thing. Yeah. Like you would have, you, like that's a trip to the store. You gotta buy it. You gotta like give them the, your card. Right. You gotta give the money. There's a lot of steps that may that allow that you to stops second you from, guess from it. doing it. Yeah. yeah, this is just like press of a button. You can do it. Like I, I remember, like I was like, all right, when everything was starting to shut down, I'm like, all right, I gotta not get anything. And then I was like, oh. 
my uh, my power cord on my comp- on my laptop is dead, so I need to get another one. That's well, like, an essential. It's just... an essential. And then I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be here for a while, and uh, you know, oh, like overcooked is only twenty is only twenty bucks. I'll just I'll just get that. Like and then like that, and it's like, oh, you know what? I also, you know, I probably should stack up on this. Then I spent like sixty bucks, <laughs> and of course, I mean something related to this podcast, which is why I brought this up initially. So one of the the the, the things that really has been eating away at me is uh, Mondo, you sons of just ugh, like good it, and bad timing for this. Yeah, it it was like it, it's almost like unfair, like it's almost like. I, I don't appreciate it because it's one of the so basically for those of you who don't know Mondo has been unveiling a I mean they've always kind of released uh specific Godzilla merchandise yeah but th- this has just been what three weeks like every of, week the past three weeks they've been doing like two yeah. or three posters based on different Godzilla films yeah from throughout its entire and history and, and I'm sure maybe our fans have already seen these but man it's one of those where it's like. It's hard to pick just one. Yeah, like it, it was like the, it, I, I think Mondo really hit it out of the park these are, with these yeah, posters. I mean, it's like Mondo's always great. It, it was it was one of those where it was tough. Like if you had all of them, it was almost a crime to have to choose yeah. one. And then not only they had that, but they had the variants of each one. And um, so I I ended up doing you know I had I treated myself to one with I, I the Shin Godzilla poster, mm-hmm. uh, which you can go look it up. Um. The one I actually didn't. We talked about this briefly, but we I, I didn't and uh, I, I never followed up on it. Was uh, they they came out with a just an awesome Godzilla versus Destroyer uh, poster, um, which fortunately and unfortunately looks like I missed the boat on. Yeah. Um. But which is like kind of like what I mentally prepared myself like if I miss it, it's probably for the best. Yes. Because I shouldn't be spending That's, hundreds of dollars. I've had on that posters. before with. Like and another podcast I listen to the the wrestling figure podcast talks about this all the time. It kind of goes into the same thing where it's like when you lose an eBay auction, like when I've lost like an eBay auction for like a sizable amount of money. It's like the kind of the disappointment where it's like, you know, because you're in the heat of like the moment, like and especially on eBay when you're, it's an actual bid. Because like right, a lot of right. times now, it's like I can find stuff I want for the buy it now on eBay, and that's usually like if it's a decent price, I'm mm-hmm. for it. But sometimes you still have the bids, especially for more rare items. So I was basically, you know, when you get that eBay auction and you're kind of in the heat and you're just like, well, you know, I'll spend five more dollars and I'll up it like 10 more bucks. Okay, that should be it. And then you get to the loss, like when you lose like a hundred dollar bid. Mm-hmm. And it's like, on the one hand, you're like, oh man, like I did want this item. But then you like immediately like, thank God I don't have to pay like the hundred bucks. I just did it. And then you ultimately find it for cheaper, hopefully. But you definitely get that where it's like when you miss out on something, there's kind of that simultaneous relief of like, Oh boy, I didn't have to pay for this, but then you're like, oh man, but I kind of wanted it. Right. Well, I mean, I I definitely agree with that. The other thing I would probably say is that if you have a purchase, especially in an online purchase, that is probably going to be time sensitive, and you're very much on the fence. Like, it's different if you really know that you want it. Yeah. That's a different thing. But if you're on the fence and you're not sure you should get it, you know, and you're kind of in that, I would suggest 
making sure that when it goes on sale that you have like an errand or another plan mm-hmm. that way it's like all right like because you're not constantly thinking yeah about and then it. if like if you're out and then you get back and then if it's there then okay maybe yeah. it was meant to be and if it's not there then it's like well you know i was busy like yeah. it wasn't like you just sat on it right so. right right um but those are, i mean just at from art perspectives like mm-hmm. just go and check those out those yeah. are oh those yeah are really and they're, cool. they're looking great um so um, We've rambled a lot about so yeah. So the other the other thing about being inside, um, and uh, in our bunker, yeah, uh, is that plenty of time to watch movies. One of which movies that have been watched yeah. is the one we are talking about today, and that is. Knives Out. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Johnson's Knives Out Ryan, from Ryan 2019. Ryan Johnson's 2019's Knives Out. This will be the most recent film that we take a look at the, the podcast. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. As of now. Yeah. Obviously, when a new movie comes out, hopefully a new movie does come out someday. Um, but uh, but anyway, luckily, this is a, a, we, we watched at home. Yes. So here we go. And there's a lot of movies we could watch at home. Yeah. One of which is... Ryan Johnson's 2019's Knives yeah. Out. Yeah. Uh, and so th- this was this was definitely fun because I missed this in theaters. Um, I was able to see it in theaters. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, let's let's get into it. Um, Nick, why are we talking about Knives Out on our Bond episode? Because of it's a film that stars one Daniel Craig, our current and the most recent Bond, and. Uh, one of the things that I've wanted to do, we've already taken a look at another Dalton film, we've taken a look at another Connery film, and I, what I hope to do is eventually we will look at another film or another project from every single one of the Bond actors, probably except for Lazenby, only because there's not really a lot of options with him. Um, but we will, uh, so we've taken a look at Connery uh, and Dalton in other film roles. I do have plans for Brosnan and for more in other in other roles as well and so i want i thought originally of course um the plan was is that we're going to have the last craig bond coming out this month so right, i thought yeah. it would be a nice i was just in my planning it would be a nice kind of tie-in we'll see craig in you know another role in a role that he has a lot of fun in and you know because we've always talked about fun craig and you know craig being fun and how we want to see more of that in a bond film so i thought it'd be fun to see him in in this role and also to be fair I also wanted to show you the movie. I mean, and that's usually the case. In right, right. Most of these are like movies I I do want to just watch with you because I enjoy watching things with you. Yeah. And some, and, uh, the, so, yeah. yeah. So I don't know why, why I don't know. Whoa. What happened there? I don't know. I, you were just going to say something. I, I know. I just, I so, just had, uh, well. <laughs> this would be similar to the Dalton episode where we just kind of talk about Craig. Yes. A little bit of it. Like, and the thing is, is like Craig, a little bit of his history, and some of his other kind of what we know him from. So, so how did how? So, I guess are, are we talking about how Craig became uh, the potato man that <laughs> yeah. to the actor that he yeah. is today? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where Craig, not a whole bunch to the story, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all we're chasing like kind of the Connery story because Connery had like the sex with the military woman, and you know, it was kind of like had all the different careers, and you know, Craig kind of fell into acting. In a different way, or sorry, uh, Connery was kind of the more interesting story because he kind of like never intended to be an actor and he kind of fell into it. Whereas mm-hmm. Craig is very similar to Dalton in the sense that he wanted to be a young, yeah, 
He wanted to be a Craig. He wanted to be an actor. I want to be a Craig actor. He, he wanted to be an actor from a young age. His his so like he we grew up. His mother was like an artist, and his father was a pub owner and a military midshipman, mm-hmm. like kind of like one of those things. And eventually, his parents divorced, and he went to live with his mother. And so he basically got a lot of the art artist lifestyle. And so like he started acting in plays starting at age six. And once he lived with his mother through the divorce, his mother would take him to a lot of plays, a lot of, you know, art functions and stuff like that. And that's where he kind of gravitated towards, well, this is something I want to mm. do. And so basically, much like Dalton, where it's like a lot of that energy was just focused on getting to the best point possible to be an actor and like Dalton started his career mostly on on the stage and that's the kind of thing it's like um i know there's some stories where you know he basically was so focused on you know potentially doing an artist that he failed some exams back in his grade school days and that kind of altered his placement educationally but basically the the idea always was i'm gonna go to an acting school go to an art school hone the craft be an actor Mm -hmm. um and i think what's interesting about craig though it's one of those things where it's funny because one of the things about Craig that I did feel was interesting to bring up is that a lot of times I talk about how the Bond actor, the people they cast as Bond are usually like unknowns or basically like they haven't had their break yet. Like they're not stars. And I mean, this remains true. Obviously, like Connery was very early in his career. Dalton, you know, we we, saw, we talked about Dalton had kind of, you know, taken like, basically really focused on stage and then the 80s was just kind of coming warming around to coming back to film with with flash gordon and stuff like that and eventually we'll save like the talk on more and brosnan for those episodes but same thing it's like more maybe was a little bit more established but still wasn't known to international audiences well brosnan basically was just known for remington steel and nothing else whereas craig it's interesting enough has a had a pretty kind of sizable career technically speaking prior to bond mm. but most of it was he was always he was never the leading man. Right, type. right. Like like we talk about Layer Cake in two thousand four, mm-hmm. which was his big like the big independent movie he did, where he's the lead, he's the definitely the main actor, and that's really what caught Barbara Broccoli's eye and basically said, Oh, we can see this guy as Bond. When you look at like some of the other stuff he was doing, like, you know, probably his other most known things prior to Bond is Laura Croft. Right, yeah, he is in that, yeah. Where he like he's definitely like a lead Also pause that you refer to that movie as Laura Croft Tomb Raider yeah no I just think it's funny because isn't that like technically the name of the movie like Laura Croft Tomb, Tomb Raider, Raider yeah yeah, yeah, it just, yeah it's just funny that not that's the cradle of life that's yeah. the second one <laughs> the first one but it's basically it's one of the things where it's like yeah he's like the like he's like the love interest and the lead but like Jolie and Angelina Jolie is Laura Croft right is, right is the attractive. yeah he's and definitely like, one of those actors that once you find out that he's Bond and then you go back and, and then like, he's like oh yeah he's actually had you know, some his, bit roles and stuff. his true becoming out party was his supporting role it, like in terms of stuff is like supporting role in Road to Perdition Sam Mendes's Road mm. to Perdition with with Tom Hanks but it's like he was always kind of like he he was destined to be pre-Bond he was destined to be that actor who was always like the really good like supporting role or like maybe second leading role but like never the star mm-hmm. but like the kind of guy who's like he's always going to put in like a good performance or or a good performance when he's interested in the role i mm-hmm. feel like is right. one of those things he kind of has that kind of connery thing going on where it's like you can definitely tell when he's into something versus when you know he kind of pulls back on it a little bit right um but it's also like interesting because he was very much like fine with that 
and he's when he talks about like taking the Bond role, he was basically like, I know this is going to make me a star, and I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah, because he was very much fine being in that sort of. I do kind of these supporting roles in movies, and like even stuff like you know he was in Munich and all that sort of stuff. Like he was in uh, a bunch of dramas where he was like you know, kind of a, a little small bit role that he could do that, and then he was still doing theater, and that was really kind of where he... He he, he definitely reminds me of, like, Adam Driver in mm. that way, yeah. or, like, actors kind of like that where... Uh, and it, it's weird because I think you find out that it's definitely not pretentiousness yeah. because these actors end up, especially with Craig, and, you know, we'll talk about it in this movie, but clearly has a sense of humor about himself and the roles that he picks. It's yeah. just mostly, it's just the the attention and the stardom of certain roles yeah. is it, definitely he, not, you know, he's not like, one for. He very much was, like, very well-known among, even, like, while he was doing films, he was kind of growing his star around the world. He right. was very noted for the plays and the dramas he was doing in England on the stage. Mm-hmm. Like he he won kind of a best actor award for this this uh, in a stage play um called Number mm-hmm. which was and I I only mention this cuz it seems like a really cool concept where he played a son who found out that he's actually a clone of mm. another son. Right. Like, that the son was sent away. And, like, so he played, like, three different roles in this play and was very well regarded and hmm. was something he was very well known for around that time just among, like, the theater enthusiasts. So he kind of always has that kind of background and, and that just pure love of acting. I think we've found, and I've definitely found this over the years, and I think Adam Driver is among these, and I think, in a sense... I think Dalton also falls in this category of the, the people who love acting but don't necessarily love that stardom that comes with like mm-hmm. film acting. Yeah. That they, because Craig and Dalton, I think, are actually very similar where they grew attached to just the concept of acting at such a young age. Right. Like, both were like very much like pre 10 years old when they kind of, the acting's what I want to do. They get into the stage where there's a more pure like acting part of it. And then obviously you kind of have to transition into film roles. And because whenever you talk, when you hear Craig, like when you look at the making of Casino Royale on the Blu-ray or whenever you hear Craig talk about being Bond, there's always, you always hear that trepidation. You always heard that like he knew what this was going to mean. He knew this was going to change his career. And there was just like, am I ready for this? Mm -hmm. Is this something I want to do? Obviously, he felt that Casino Royale was such a good idea, such a good script and such a good interpretation of Bond that he just couldn't pass it up that it would be something that he would regret if he didn't take it. But he also knew that like, well, now I'm going to be a star for better or for worse. I'm a lead in a bond movie. I'm going to be doing at least three or four of these. And, you know, we come to the fact that he's going to be doing five and he's going to mm-hmm. be so long tenured, but he's got just like, well, this is going to be it. This is just going to change how I am as an actor, how people perceive me. And he kind of went into it. And I think that, He's definitely kind of been up and down on on how he's handled that, I feel like. Well, this is, I think, pretty unique uh, in terms of anything we've discussed on the show, is seeing an actor... Like, obviously, we've talked the trajectory of an actor, but this is really, we're seeing, like, you know, some of his early works and then now into Bond, but now we're seeing, like, what is he doing currently? Yeah. Like, beyond beyond that. So there's a clear trajectory that we have seen just unfold before our eyes. Because with a lot of the other actors, it it was kind of already laid out for us. Right. Now we're kind of, because it it doesn't seem too long ago that he was in that, um, 
what, what's that movie about like it was like about the NASCAR racing? Oh, or Logan something? Lucky. Yeah, Logan Lucky. Yeah, it was just like then, you know, it wasn't too long ago that that movie came out and you're like, oh, this is Bond and it's Daniel Craig acting uh, a little bit silly. Yeah, like acting yeah. silly. So it, it's in like I don't know. I feel like I feel like we should touch upon that just to, like for a and minute. And I also th- I also think what's kind of interesting is that though the era that Craig came into Bond was definitely a very just a different era than any of the other Bonds have been before. Because when you look at like like when you look at like Craig or when you look at I keep saying Craig, but I mean Connery, Connery and Moore, they were basically just allowed to do like the Bond movies. They may like have done like a few like uh, a, a a project or two outside of that but basically like you know connery was basically when he was doing bond movies it was like bond 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 that was his life Moore was basically like his his life was bond and he made like a cameo appearance in a couple films during that time but again he was bond dalton only had the two brosnan transit was really the 90s bond was that transition for for brosnan where he was kind of that star and he did get to do stuff like dante's beacon thomas crown affair and we'll talk about that when we get to him but when we talk about craig like craig post bond like while he was doing bond you know this was stuff where it's like you know he's doing like leading like golden compass after like you know casino royale he's right yeah oh, that's, that's true and yeah girl with the dragon tattoo and he's rumored for thor and it's like you know there's we're in an era where it's like bond isn't the only thing that craig can do like, right he does have this opportunity yeah to that's branch a, out. that's a that's a good point and so it's just kind of been a very interesting kind of seeing really the transition and looking into it where it's like Craig was kind of the supporting actor. He becomes Bond, and now he is a, a, a box office like kind of like people will cast him for the name. But that being said, don't you see a little bit more of a stark transition in the last like couple films? Yes, and then yes. combining that with his seeming, with what we can assume his apparent attitude towards playing Bond is, because I don't think he hates playing Bond, and I think like sometimes the uh, you know how much that can be overstated. I think that could just be an overstated kind of story. I I do think that there is a correlation between, you know, maybe some of the exhaustion of playing Bond at times, yeah. and then especially with these last two movies. I I do think that there's somewhat of a connection. Yeah, there. yeah, because it's like even like Logan, like you know, doing Logan Lucky Knives Out, and even like kind of stuff like getting into like you know him doing mocap for adventures of Tintin back in the yeah day oh yeah yeah yeah. Like, yeah i think like there's definitely an, an an itch for him to kind of want to branch out and do things and i think it's also and i think we'll talk about this once we talk about knives out uh the production of that but it's also just like him jumping at the chance when he's offered these roles because i think you know people will kind of well he's bond and he's the serious bond and we need to kind of get him in like you know you would think that something like a girl with the dragon tattoo is much more up like that type of Bond's alley, where it's like, well, he's the serious, gritty Bond, so we need him in kind of the serious, gritty, you know, kind of picture, this right, kind of right. thing. But I think like he relishes these opportunities because, again, he loves being an actor. Like he loves that part of acting. He loves putting on that performance and figuring out the character and how he's gonna, you know, move and how he's gonna do that. And I think, I think, I do think that kind of middle period of Bond, like you know, kind of. Definitely, like, kind of that Spectre period was definitely, like, you could feel the exhaustion of, like, he kind of wants to branch out and do other stuff. Well, and, and you know, and to make another actor comparison, it's uh, another actor you can look at in this way is Hemsworth, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Uh, not Liam. Right. Like, There's uh, a lot of Hemsworth. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of Hemsworth. But, um, but yeah, Chris Hemsworth was, I, I think, very clearly in that position where not necessarily disliking what he is, but 
there was probably a sense of right. ennui and boredom with uh, you know just playing straight laced right. lead guy, right. you and you can definitely see that in the most recent works that he's, he's way more interested in like cutting loose and playing characters. Like he's someone where it's like when he like gets the offer to be in that uh, Ghostbusters. Like when he gets oh yeah, to be, jumps like, at the chance. Jumps at the chance. Yeah. Like he he can only play so many black hat hackers named Hathaway. Yeah. <laughs> good pull, good pull. Um, um but, but Craig, yeah, I think Craig's in that same. Boat. I think so. I, and I think it's because because I think it's funny because you know even going into the podcast, like the perception of Craig was kind of the sourpuss, like serious, like you know, I'm gonna do the role and and I'm gonna be serious in it. And right, then, right. He was like. Yeah, I think like maybe Logan Lucky was like around then, but it was like you know it's like okay, well he's branching out for this one, but then really kind of seeing Knives Out and even just looking at it and him talking about it for this podcast and just him just so energized about the project and the movie, it yeah. just like really makes you think about how you know, especially because I will also say for Craig's sake during his era of Bond, there's so there's been so much like kind of production production ups and downs. You know, it's like obviously Casino Royale was a big hit, but then you had like kind of him doing the writing for the writer's strike, you know, Quantum mm-hmm. of yeah. Solace. Yeah, that's, and then a, that's it, a good it took, point. It then after that, it took forever to really get Skyfall going. And obviously Skyfall was a big hit and that big thing. And then Spectre was kind of, it just seemed like everything with Spectre was all over the place too. So, and then, and then we've had all these delays on No Time to Die and it just feels like he's ready to kind of get to it. And of course, like the... The slitting the night, the slitting the wrist con- comments after Spectre. I just feel like you know if he had a more like Brosnan esque or more Ascors, it's like okay, we're we're getting the movies, we're doing, we're just kind of keeping the bonds. I just feel like you know it's just it's just an exhausting like just things haven't really worked out in terms of production side. It just always seems like something's coming up. I think he just still presents himself as an actor who does. There's more opportunity for him, and I'm going to be very curious to see like what his real next steps are yeah, uh, yeah. out there in the world. Well, this was uh, one of his most recent steps uh, yeah. in this film, Knives Out, which I think we should uh, talk a little bit about before yeah. we talk about the movie proper. Nick, what do you have uh, right. for us? Uh, so, Ryan Johnson, of course. Wait, wait, you're pronouncing it. You're pronouncing it wrong. It's Ruin Johnson, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not gonna get into that. So Ryan Johnson, not like, endorsed by me. It was just one of those terrible trolley names that made me laugh. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. So Ryan Johnson, obviously director. Um, basically, you can name all the films he's directed on one hand. Yeah, Brick, yeah. Brothers Blue, U- USC Blue, student, USC uh, graduate. Oh, yeah, graduate. If I remember correctly, yes. um, um, most famous like he wrote. Uh, his coming out party was the movie Brick with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, two thousand five, and yeah. then he did Brothers Bloom, Looper, and Last Jedi. It, it is it is funny because you're right. His trajectory is, is is pretty much like you can get through it real quickly. Yeah, we're talking about his previous works. Yeah, and him as a director going yeah. into it. What 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 are we what are we thinking? Like what. Are, what do I think? Or yeah. Like, or like, why do I bring up his previous works? Well, no, no. Of course, you got to bring up his previous works. It's just we're talking about yeah, them now. So what, what do I think about? Them? Yeah, it's okay. just like him as a director coming, kind of coming into this. Uh, like... I think Brick's a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously a great coming out. I have not actually seen Brothers Bloom. I know it's probably of its like original works. It's probably like the, the lowest on the list for a lot of people. But there's still like people still like kind of the the humor of it. I know that much. Looper. I bet I, you nobody likes it. 
I bet you know it's either one of those movies that either nobody like has watched or has an opinion of yeah. because it, it, because uh, l- hey, let's be clear man, it has Adrian Brody in hey, it. Listen, to be clear, Post- a lot of directors that people like have a movie, a movie that's like a studio movie that's probably fine. Yeah, but you but it's just like nobody yeah. goes back to watch it, and they probably just. In all fairness, I think they what will kinda, say it's good because it's, you know, because they're like, oh, there's elements of it right. because well, it's Ryan Johnson. The thing about Brothers Bloom yeah. is like, it's like a con man movie. And so it's like, it's like a Ryan doing a con man movie where he like, he wants to put in all the tropes, but still put kind of a, a spin on it. Sure. So from what I understand the movie is that people do like, like the character work and the acting and it's like the humor is great, but it's just like the con man plot ambitions are just too much. Mm, and I see. maybe he doesn't really stick with uh, yeah, it. Yeah, I've still, never seen it it's either. It's so enjoyable. But enjoyable. sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. And you. then I love, love, love the first half of Looper. Like I love. Oh the, wow! I thought I thought you were all on board with Looper. I'm a little bit more on board with the the second half than most people are. Yeah. I just like like I love the first half of that movie. Like I think the first half of the movie is like picture perfect. Yeah. The second half, I think I enjoy it more than other people. I think I kind of like the trajectory of the film. I can I can still like, admit that it's probably not the strongest like second half. Mm-hmm. It's just that this is like the first half of that movie, the first half of Looper is just so good to me. I would like, I would it's agree. So great. I would agree. Like probably the first I would you know, I do the weird thing where I say like the first half of Looper would be like my one of my top movies <laughs> yeah. of that year. Like like literally just the first half I would put like at the top of my list. But it's still like one of my favorite films of that year. And then uh, I am someone who likes The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. I can also admit that that movie isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. And I do think there are things to discuss about it. No, no. That sounds like nuance. We don't like it when we talk about Star Wars, But Nick. also the discussion around that movie is what made me realize that I can't hate movies anymore. <laughs> like, I, I literally can't hate. Like, the most I have is like, eh, okay. Um, uh, but, I, but I do yeah. kind of... I'm someone who I would, I would, enj- I would put the last Jedi on a Star Wars movie that I enjoy. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because Ryan Johnson is one of those people where I, I, I've always said this about him. I love Ryan Johnson and I wish I liked his movies more Mm -hmm. is how I feel about him. Now I should say this. I should go back and watch brick because I remember watching it. Um and enjoying it. But it's just one of those movies where once time goes on, you're like, you know, I probably should, watch it again and like let it sink in a little bit more like like your modern eyes yeah yeah you know again we've talked about how taste has changed like taste and film opinions and just the way you view a movie has just changed yeah yeah and and so i think that i've never seen brothers bloom looper i i 100 agree i think overall solid movie but i i i do think it suffers from a there's a point in the movie that is just not quite as good as the first part of the movie and and it does kind of like it, it feels like it. Not that it becomes a completely different movie, but there is a plotting. There, there's kind of a little bit of a structure and plot issue with Looper personally. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I'm very much middle middle ground on Last Jedi. I think there's some great things in it, um, but I also think that there's some things that hinder it quite a bit. Um, so you know, I don't want to say like I'm I'm against it because there's like some great stuff in it, but um i there 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 were some significant issues for me personally um and kind of going into it it, it's funny because not into that movie but just in general like i i I will respectfully say um and and i don't mind saying this kind of given what you know i'm probably going to say about uh this film um is that i i was not 
for all due respect, not drinking the Ryan Johnson Kool Aid, mm-hmm. and I and I and I don't mean that to be like ah screw him. I, I just like I, I think he's made some solid films. I, I've just never quite gravitated to the the genius that has been attributed to him. Yeah. Is is and I'm just being honest about them. That I love him though. I love the guy. It's a great commentary. Guy. Great commentary tracks. I love to hear him talk about his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, great, like great commentary track. Great interview. Like, yeah, he's always. And I love like and one of the things like he takes so like he always when he talks about movies that he makes he always talks about the movies that like inspire him and just like how the love for those types of movies. Yeah, because he's someone who like all of his movies have basically kind of been a spin on a different genre. Yeah, obviously like star like even. Last Jedi, you could argue, is like a different spin on Star Wars in some ways, but it's like, in some sense of the word, but it's like, you know, like Brick is like, it's like a neo noir, but in a high school. Yeah. And like, and yeah. like Brothers Bloom is like a con man movie with such a character focused. Mm-hmm. And, and then like Knives Out is like a modern take on a classic, yeah. you know, thing in, uh, in a, of a classic like murder mystery. Yeah, like uh, you know, and then obviously Looper Two is just kind of like its own distinct Swiss on a time travel movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like each of his he plays with genre a lot, and he kind of really like, and so like him just talking about how he plays with that genre and how his inspirations come, um, is is always very interesting. Is there is there something that you other than the genre playing? Is there something that you would attribute to him just based off of all of his uh, movies? A very specific like. I would say just kind of like a very specific sense of kind of the way he portrays humor sometimes too. Like his scripts are all brick less so, but like, I know like the rest of his movies, there's a certain lightness to them, Yeah. but it's also like he, he will kind of weave that into the genre. Like he will weave that humor into kind of the genre. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I definitely, there's definitely a playful nature yeah. to, to him. And like, I think he, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worst will like be cute about like some of his storytelling and his plotting and um and i think sometimes it works out very well and i think sometimes it 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 can get him into trouble uh personally Mm -hmm. um and and definitely when you see him as the person uh, i mean if there i that's why it's one of those people where i feel bad for not liking his movies like more because Mm -hmm. I like of all the directors I've seen talk in the past couple of years, it's like, oh, I want to get like, I want to go out to a lunch with him and just, yeah, like, he would just like, be like, someone who's shit. really, yeah. Fun to yeah. Talk about. Um, but yeah, so I think that there is a playful at, at it, there's a playful, cute, cute nature to all of his movies. Um, but there, there's a sense of, I do think it's interesting. And again, maybe I'll, I'll get into some of this later, but there is, I do think, a, like a lot of thoughtfulness. To Thought, his yes, yes. There's I mean, a lot of thought put in, I, I think. No, he's he's a very like he puts a lot of effort into kind of the movie. And yeah. I think from a directing and writing because he's also someone who writes and directs all his own stuff. Yeah. Like all of his movies have been his scripts and him directing them. Yeah. What but what's interesting about him is that it's always I find to be a different thing in every movie. I find it like his the thing there's a different focus of how much thought he puts into and not that you know he's being lazy in certain elements but 
I would say like in Last Jedi, I would say thematically, which is weirdly one of the things I think he knocked out of the park in certain elements in that movie, um, is that that was like the big focus in that for him. And then I think that um, with um, something like Brick, it was like direction and aesthetics. And then with Knives Out, as we're getting into it, just an intense focus and detail on the story. Um, and, and just like, just, and, and the plot, I should say, yeah. like he just really is just very, very thoughtful in how to make these certain elements work. So he, he I definitely see him as a director where he's like, all right, like what's going to work for like this movie? What do I want to do to the, what do yeah. I want to bring to this movie? And it's something different, but poignant and thoughtful in each one. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So let's talk about the actual production yeah. of the film now. So we're, we're on the about end. this whodunit. Yeah. Uh, we're at the end of 2017. Last Jedi has come out. Mm-hmm. Ryan is officially kind of like, you know, breathing. You know, the movie is out. He's been working on Last Jedi for basically, essentially, four years at that point. And like then everybody loves him. Yeah. Everybody loves the movie. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a darling. Well, yeah. <laughs> so Ryan's obviously just thinking about what he wants to do next. Well, also the the only reason, and I joke about that, but there's also the you know he just got finished doing Last Jedi and. With the potential of whether wherever this ended up being, but at the time it's like he's going to be coming back to do more Star Wars. Right, like films. he's like you know, and where the Star Wars films are is like a whole different thing, right? right. Now. But he was also like you know pegged for like doing a new trilogy but, and stuff. But like this that. is definitely one of those cases where a lot of directors, especially if you direct for Marvel or um, you know Star Wars, right now it's like. It's that one where it's like, all right, you're in that bigger family, and then when you're done that, you spend your off time doing like your yeah. like whatever movie you want to do. Like right. Taika Waititi's in the same yeah, uh, in the boat. Same boat. Yeah. yeah. So he's basically like, well, what I want to do next, and he goes back to an old idea, he um, an idea that he had for right after Brick, which he originally intended to do, the original version of what would eventually become Knives Out. Basically, like a who done it. He basically had the basic plot of you know a, a like back then in 2005 2006 he had this basic plot of a famous whodunit offer like gets murdered mm-hmm. or or dies and the kind of the original like and then this detective benoit blanc comes yeah. in to investigate it but basically just like it very was much a, what, what is it like an agatha christie, agatha christie yeah, yeah yeah so mm-hmm. basically he had that idea basically around you know 2005 2006 just kind of other projects came up like Brothers Bloom and Loopers and then obviously Last Jedi came into his lap. So it was always kind of like thing he wanted to do, thing he wanted to write and just never kind of like just another thing would come up. So now that Last Jedi was over, it's the end of 2017, he's thinking maybe it's the time to pull the trigger on this idea. And he also wants to do a very simplified production. Like he loved doing The Last Jedi. He enjoyed that. He still talks about that he enjoyed that production immensely. But it was a very lengthy period of development because it's a Star Wars movie. And, right. You know, you're you're kind of developing it like around, you know, starting. You have to start developing it around, you know, when Force Awakens coming out. So it's basically been like a whole even before that. So it's a whole process. Yeah. No. They and they they like and I remember they started uh, filming it. I think the day right after they wrapped. Right. On, yeah. So uh, it's yeah. like there. So it's been a very Force long Awakens, process. I mean, yeah. Like he said, like about four years in total, just like working on the movie. So he's like, I want this to be very simple. It's going to be like. One major location, we're going to focus on that, all that sort of thing. So his plan, he placed his plan at the beginning of 2018. He's going to write the movie. They're going to get funding at Toronto Film Festival in uh, September, 
shoot it in October, mm-hmm. finish it by the end of the year. Basically, just like maybe a two month production, really kind of put it all together. Uh, so he grabs his normal producer, um, Ron Bergman, who's produced all of his movies, and they basically kind of get to work on making sure the script is good. They're basically going to finish the script within those nine months, have it ready to sell at the Inter- Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, so yeah, so Ryan's major influences for this movie was a classic like whodunits, you know, the Agatha Christie's, you know, Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile, uh, as well as kind of the other, like especially specifically, he kind of notes not just the classic Agatha Christie and the Hercule Poirot, whatever that guy's name is, uh, detective mysteries, obviously like a little bit of that Sherlock Holmes nature as well, but kind of the the 70s uh, whodunit and kind of murder mystery films like Glass of Sheila, Sleuth, Death Trap, all that sort of fun stuff. One thing he was noted that uh, he did not want to do is he did not want to do a parody. He did not want to do like Clue or Murder mm. by Death, like these movies that like are definitely like parodying the whodunit genre as much as he loves those movies. Mm. Um, but his other major influence and a challenge that he put on of itself uh, was emulating these the long-standing detective television series Columbo. Mm. So I don't know people out there know Columbo. It's available for free uh, on. Uh, Amazon Prime. It's a classic series. But basically, Columbo starring Peter Falk was this 70s series that went all the way to the 90s. They would basically do like five or six episodes a year. And the whole point of Columbo was that the first 15 minutes of the episode were dedicated to showing you who the murderer was and how they committed the murder. So it wasn't so much a who done it as it was like, how does he solve it? Or how does he figure this out? Or mm. how, does, how does this person get that? So the whole point of a Columbo episode is that you would follow, you know, like it would, like one episode is like Leonard Nimoy is a doctor who's trying to, you know, trying to kill this patient of his but ends up killing his nurse like to keep her silent. And then you, you OK, you find that out. Columbo comes in and you kind of figure out, OK, he's picking up on this. He's picking up on that. He's not buying this lie. And then you're just kind of following like, how is he going to solve this? So Ryan is a big fan of Columbo and a big fan of that style and also kind of subscribes to the, the Hitchcock criticism of whodunits where it's like. Well, you're basically like following like these clues and the audience is just kind of waiting for the reveal. Like that was like Hitchcock's, you know, where Hitchcock was very much like, I'm going to show you who the bad guy is. And then the tension is, are they going to get away with it or all that sort of stuff? So Mm -hmm. his kind of whole point was like, what if I show you the murderer, but in a way that you make, you cares about the murderer and you hope that they get away. And so that was kind of the driving force mm-hmm. as well as for um, the driving force was that plot line and then creating a new detective with Benoit Blanc. And the whole thing about the Benoit Blanc character is that he had said that he made it a little bit more quirky, a little bit more weird. And then he kind of felt like he needed to tone it back that he basically needed to make him like the, the quirkiness would be him more going into the world of this family as opposed to you know, having his own like kind of weird. Right, part. right. You don't want to make Inspector Clouseau. Like right, you, yeah. exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So the script writing process, it goes as scheduled. They're about to, you know, they're hitting August now. They have a script that they're happy with. And again, the plan, uh, Toronto International Film Festival is that first week of September. They go ahead and they're like, okay, we're going to sell the script and we're going to figure out from there. We'll see if we can film it by the end of the year. Then the producer, Ram, reads online that... Danny Boyle has left No Time to Die, which Don Bond 25, and that that film project was delayed. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. All right. So, I knew there was some sort of story about yeah. this. I didn't know what so, exactly it was. They had, you know, Rom and uh, uh, 
Ryan had briefly discussed potential casting. And Ryan's plan here is that he's basically going to be like, once we get the funding, once we confirm we can shoot in October, I'm just going to be like, ask around whoever's available. If they want to do it, they want to do it. He was like, I don't want to get into this thing where we're going to film it next year and then we're going to make deals and then maybe someone has a Marvel movie or Star Wars thing that they have to do. And it's like, they, they're fine to do it, but I just, I want to just do the movie mm-hmm. and I want to just do it with whoever we can. So basically now, Rom realizes that with this delay, it's likely that Craig, who they've talked about for the role of Benoit Blanc, is available and would probably be available for that end of the year spot that they want. And Rom, Ryan... And Craig all share an agent. They all share like an agency and agent together. All right, nice. So basically, they get in contact with Craig. They send him the script, or Ron sends him the script. Ryan's on vacation before Toronto because he's like, well, I'm going to go on vacation with my family. And then after Toronto, we're going to be basically ramping up in this movie. Ron calls Ryan and he's like, Daniel Craig's ready to meet you in three days in New York. So you need to leave your family, <laughs> get to New York, get him on this movie. So basically, it comes up with it quickly. Craig is super enamored by the script, loves the character of Benoit Blanc, loves like just the concept no, of the none story. Of, none of this could have been said over Skype, none of it, over yeah. a phone. <laughs> well, not, nowadays we know that. Yeah. <laughs> In this day and age, years, like a year later, a year or two later, we definitely know everything could be done over Skype. But this was basically like they wanted a face-to-face meeting. So basically... They don't have him signed to a, a contract just yet because they're still waiting the funding for the movie that they're going to have in Toronto. But now they have an edge at Toronto International Film Festival. They say, we have this script and we have Daniel Craig on board if we can start shooting by the end of October. And that's basically the plan going into the Toronto International Film Festival. They, it works. They get Lionsgate on board. They get uh, MCR mm-hmm. uh, on board. They have the funding. They have So this is like the first week of September. They're going to have to be ready to start shooting within a month. Uh, and so basically Ryan's like, all right, so let's start calling people, see who's available for the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And luck, and this is pure luck that basically most of his first choices were just available. Because the idea was, if we're not doing anything, we're just going to be outside of Boston for, you know, everybody can just kind of be in and out. You know, obviously there's a big ensemble cast, so not everybody has to be there every day. We can kind of do the big family scenes together and then people can come in and out as they need to. So basically just like Ryan would call people up and send them the script and basically, hey, we're going to do this for like a month and a half the end of the year. If you're free, you're not shooting anything, not attached to anything, come on down. And 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 I should and, – and again, I joked about it before about you know him being such a film Twitter darling but in, like, in, in the film circles. But I think that has a lot to do with it. I, I think by all accounts – as a person, everybody loves him. Um, everybody loves his body of work. I mean, everybody at like Disney and Lucasfilm, um, from my understanding, like loved working with him. And you know, while, while it may ruffle some feathers, I mean, there's a lot of people who still consider like you know, or uh, very high on the Last Jedi themselves. So the 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 cards were stacked in his favor. Yeah. I, I should say. So it, it and. From everything I've heard from like the people who've been in the movie, it was like almost a pleasure for like all these actors and everybody to come on and work with and Ryan Johnson. I also think that like Ryan's like a genuinely nice guy. So when he's like just talking to you about like coming, hey come on, like he's literally like come on down. We're just gonna yeah. we'll get you for a couple days. You know you'll be you'll be in this big cast. Uh, one of the stories that I know in terms of casting. So basically, kind of everything kind of falls in line where it's like, and especially with Craig on board and Craig being the star, 
you know people come in and so it's like first per- other person is um uh, uh, Michael Shannon mm-hmm. is like immediately on board. Jamie Lee Curtis gets on board. But one of the, the casting stories that I know is that Don Johnson mm-hmm. uh, was got the script, and he basically was like, "I loved it. I was like one of the few scripts I've ever like read right away again." So he was like, "He's like, I really want this part. I really, I'd be available for the end of the year. I'm, I'm basically gonna go." But he's he's literally like super nervous going into the call. Like it's a call with Ryan Johnson. So he's like, I'm super nervous going to call because I'm, I'm all this ready to pitch myself for this part and the way I would play it, like I'm all ready to go. And then he says that he picked Ryan, like picks up like the the phone or whatever, and is like, you know, Don, I loved you in Zachariah, and Zachariah is this like one of his earliest roles, this like obs- obscure '70s psychedelic western where he has like kind of a side role. Uh-huh. Basically, then he's like the entire rest of the hour conversation was all about like our careers and kind of telling stories about like, you know, me on Miami Vice and Nash Bridges and him talking about like producing, you know, making Brick and Looper. And at the end of the call, he's like, all right, well, we'll see you in two weeks. And I was like, well, we never talked about Knives Out. We never talked about the movie. Like, it's just like Ryan basically just kind of got what he wanted. He got his cast. And basically, well, and, what else is there to say? Yeah. I mean, he will, Ryan wants him to be in the movie, like you know, yeah, it's and, just like that. Yeah, but so it's just it's, like I'm, pr- I'm sure that was pretty much everything else with everybody, right. Actor too, and it was like too. It's like Tony Collette, who is uh, also in this movie. Um, we'll talk about I think the cast more like during the movie itself. But like she also said that like well, people would be just coming in like you know you wouldn't even realize that they're on a production like you know we were ha- we, you know we had started shooting already we'd done our first scenes and all of a sudden like one day Christopher Plummer's on set another day Frank Oz is on set it's like how like it's just like it was just I amazingly- mean a, a lot of people would be surprised that when like especially on mo- movies like this and the bigger the actor is like sometimes that actor coming on set that day is the first time they're meeting most of the people right, like yeah. in person. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm sure like their agents and everybody's like, Oh, like, you know, this Chris Evans is going to be, I'm sure they have yeah. some sense, but it's not like they have the entire rundown of everything going on all the time. You'd be surprised that that happens. That happens more often than not. Uh, and then um, I know too, that uh, the only two actors that had to actually audition were the two uh, Catherine Langford mm-hmm. as Megan and Ana de Armas mm-hmm. uh, for the martyr role, and those basically because oh, see that surprises me that because Ana de Armas seems like such a Ryan, like it just seems like such a pick. Like, I think it was very much like they were both just coming off of other films, mm-hmm. and so I think there was just like you know a little bit more of an audition process, especially because they're kind of the younger, like less established actors. Right, right, I would right. say, yeah, I think the biggest thing that Ana de Armas, um, who I like. Uh, going into this movie, the biggest thing she was in at this point was probably Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, she had been in other stuff, but Blade Runner was probably the most right. high-profile yeah. thing. But it was just was like, in. you know, like a lot of those, like, you, you just cast Jamie Lee Curtis, like, yeah. you know, without really question about it. Um, and they were also able to procure this um, house on the outside, outskirts of Boston, which is the Thromby mansion that you see in the movie. Mm-hmm. Majority of the film uh, was shot in the mansion itself, and a lot of the kind of little, like, figures and little things were actually part of the house itself and, oh, then, nice. and then the production design team brought a little bit additional stuff obviously like the knife chair was was made and uh ryan was very disappointed he, did, he was not able to keep the knife chair because all the knives were rented not purchased <laughs> that's funny um but basically they found this house and they were very happy were they prop knives though oh, I, yes oh, most of them oh, no spoilers yet yeah um but basically like you know like the library was all set up like that the the room the stash room if you know the movie, you know that the, the room with the stash was mm. was set up like that. You know, basically the the only sets that they needed to make was like the attic 
uh, uh, where um, the main character or the the murder victim is found dead, mm-hmm. and um, the hallway with the trick window. Those were like the main sets that they had to do on other loca- like on a stage because they were very specific that what they were looking for. But the rest of the house was basically like set up like that. Um, then yeah, basically they shot the movie. They started on October thirtieth and wrapped at the beginning of December. Just a very quick, easy little shoot. Um, a couple la- little things to note. Um, Ryan always notes that in his script, he had Benoit Blanc having a quote subtle <laughs> southern accent. Uh, but Craig was enamored by the historian uh, Shelby Foote, who is most known for the his. Appearances in the famous Ken Burns Civil War documentary, that like hours long PBS documentary. So basically, like Craig just kind of got affected to that voice, and uh, he, you know, and Ryan kind of took a little time to get used to it. Uh, but Ryan kind of always joked with him that it sounded like Christopher Guest's character in Best in Show. <laughs> and of course, Christopher Guest is married to Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, that's so funny. they would always that's like funny. they would always kind of. Jamie Lee Curtis and, and Ryan would always kind of like egg on Craig by doing like the famous nut monologue from yeah, Best in Show. That's funny. Um, basically, as well, the cast had the most wonderful time when they were all together. Uh, the basement had a foosball table, um, not like brought in, but it was just like part of the house. So basically between takes, um, because like the trailers and like their accommodations were all set up like down the road. Oh, right, right, right. This was one of Ryan's little cute moments where he's like, everybody's hanging out. Nobody's in their trailers. Yeah. This never happens. Right. Well, the, like basically like the trailers were down the road. So like to get there was like a thing of itself. But basically everybody kind of holed up in the basement. They would play foosball. They would trade war stories. And apparently Jamie Lee Curtis would basically like, like, got close to the owners of the house and would hang out in the kitchen all the time and make food for everybody. It was just kind of a wonderful time. That's really cool. Uh, So basically everybody was just like, had like the best time. Um, Even Frank Oz, who had basically retired from doing these cameo roles is in the movie. He did it as, you know, because he enjoyed working with Ryan on the last Jedi where he plays Yoda. And Ryan was always like, I love when, like whenever you see him in the blues brothers or, you know, trading places, like whatever these random movies he would make a cameo appearance in. Yeah, I love seeing that. And then he basically found out that Frank always hated doing those because he didn't see himself as much of an actor. Oh, that's funny. But like, but Frank said, like, it was even to him, it was like amazing to see all these people together. Um, and also, of course, Ryan had allowed for a lot of improvisation. Um, he called uh, Michael Shannon like the guru of improvisation because yes. he would always yes. throw something out. But also. Michael Shannon, he said, would point out other people's improvisations. Like, there's one, like, there's the scene where they're all, like, chasing off Marta. We'll talk about it more in the movie. But they're all, like, there's a lot of yelling and stuff like that. And basically, like, Shannon would start pointing out, like, oh, you should, like, re-record it so we can get, you know, him saying this and and her saying this. Because she just said that off the cuff and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. As well as uh, Tony Collette was the other major improviser on the movie. Uh, There's one scene where she's dancing. And she like was like, I have to dance to this song, Ryan. And so they had to pay for the song that she chose, of course. But it was just like in the mood for that. One last thing I'll say, because otherwise, you know, there's a lot of kind of minor stories. But I think one of the things I do want to say about Craig, I want to say something about Craig as an actor. So obviously in any murder mystery movie, there's the big detective reveals the murderer scene at the end of the movie. Of course. They got to have that. Yeah. And so Ryan went into that day. They had the big day where they were going to shoot most of the scene. And he he basically had all these shots set up. He had like kind of done some mini storyboards, like all these complicated setups. 
But when they started doing the scene, Ryan realized that Craig had basically memorized the entire big speech about the murder and like the whole like him putting together the clues basically as if it were like a stage performance like basically how you just have to kind of know the whole thing front to back Mm. and so basically he was like well if he knows it this way like i basically got to do more long takes because i was gonna do a lot of quick things but it's like i gotta let him build the momentum because you know he knows that this is like the act like this is like the big scene and so ryan basically just redid his entire shot structure because like craig came into it just as a stage actor that he was just doing it basically as a professional and i think that really speaks to craig as an actor that yeah. like and craig was just has not talked about just like he loves working with ryan he loved the script he loved getting this chance to be this character he you know he was a fan of like the old Agatha christie movies with peter usinoff in like the 60s and 70s so like this was just like a dream performance for him and I, he really just kind of gave it his all on That's this awesome. one that's awesome. And like uh if you this is a movie worth getting on Blu-ray I think cuz the special features are very in depth. But I also say it to you going through not just the two commentary tracks yeah. but also going through the like the kind of seven chapter making of um it's just like there's so much thought and I think the thoughtfulness put yeah, in the movie. Yeah, he he's yeah, Ryan's definitely a film fan in that way where I think you know, there's part of a. I think he kind of likes to do those little documentaries and those featurettes. I think he he yeah. likes talking about yeah. like the process and everything. I, I a think little he bit. he does as well, which is good because I like I like listening to them. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, no. I was gonna say. I mean, you kind of made a perfect segue into right. what our quote was gonna be, but you're gonna ruin it. You always you always like well, interrupting the, the segues. The, the only thing I will say is that obviously because this is a recent movie and also there's a major mystery element of the movie in oh, some right, ways. Right, right, yeah. This is good to mention. It's worth watching. It's easy to find because it's like you know it's a recent movie. It's everywhere. It's like yeah. the rent or download. Definitely watch it if you haven't seen it. But the quote is going to be a little bit spoilery to like a major plot point. In the movie. I would say spoilers here on out. Yeah, because because I just want to say like the quote. The quote is the only quote we could have chosen because it's it's the best quote, one of the best quotes in the movie, but it is a little spoilery for like a major element of the movie. So here on out, major spoiler talks. We will be talking about who the murderer is and all yeah. the little twists and turns of Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Let's do it. Are you going to tell me what the hell is going on? Yes. I just want to yeah. come clean, okay? It's over. Almost. No, what, what are we doing? I'm sorry. Officer Wagner, keep the family out of this room. Get them out of the house if you can, but stand by with your additional officer. Get the family out. Yes, but not all of them. Would you, Blanc? Thank you. Blanc. Yes, sir? Come on. Come on. What's, what's all this drama? Indulge me. Blanc, I told Ransom. Ransom told you, and I'm telling you now. It is an immovable fact that I killed Harlan. Yes, you did. Yes, he did. Yes, you are. But, but... I spoke in the car about the hole at the center of this donut. And what you and Harlan did that fateful night seems at first glance to fill that hole perfectly. A donut hole in a donut's hole. But we must look a little closer. And when we do, we see the donut hole has a hole in its center. It is not a donut hole, but a smaller donut with its own hole. And our donut is not a hole at all. Knives Out. Ryan Johnson's 2019's uh, Knives Knives Out. Starring Daniel Craig. Yeah. A whole bunch of other lovely cast members. Yeah. Very, very excellent, excellent, excellent cast. 
um, starring Daniel Craig, but uh, not the main character of the film. Um, so uh, that that I found out when yes. when when watching watching this. Uh, so. Kind of going into this movie, I was always interested in in seeing this. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't want any of my comments to make it seem like I'm was not into like Ryan Johnson that much. I mean, he's kind of like one of these like filmmakers where I, I am interested in his works. It's just we'll see, you know, how I end up um, like liking them. And I just kind of missed it in theaters. Mm-hmm. I, I never got a chance. But I mean, everybody spoke very highly of it. Um, like you were speaking very highly of it. What was its Oscar? Um, Pulls did it did it pull uh, anything? It it was nominated for best original screenplay. Yeah, uh, yeah. but then deservingly Craig, so. I Craig think. and Diarmas were nominated for Golden Globes for their acting performances as well. That's what it was. Um. So anyway, so uh, going so so yeah, so knife Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Um, loved it. Thought it was great. Yeah. Thought thought it was. And it's one of those movies where I thought was really another solid movie, like more so than I, I, I think some of his other movies. And the more I've thought about it, I'm like, oh, no, no, it's just it's just great. It's a, it's oh, a great I, movie. And and I think that the biggest thing for me was that this, to me, and, and again, I can only speak for myself, was this was, like, to me, the first, for, and for my taste, the first great Ryan Johnson movie for, for myself. And... In a way, I think that all the shortcomings that I found in all of his previous movies were addressed in this movie and just delivered 100%. Um, and I, I was just uh, overall just just very, very happy with the movie, very much enjoyed it, very imple- impressed with the plot and the mystery aspects of it, how everything was weaved in together cast is excellent um and uh, and then all and just all the story choices like you were saying just kind of like that it, it makes sense knowing the colombo history to it because i thought that like it's not a very like in in some ways it is and feels and is structured very traditionally like the type of movie it is. Yeah. So in some way, like in some ways, it is exactly the type of movie you think it's going to be. Yes. Like you know, I think it's like because it's done well. Of course, there's twists and turns and surprises. Uh, but like if you've seen like the trailer, in general, you know what kind of movie mm-hmm. uh that it's going to be. But he just it it delivers so well in all these different elements, and then but the way in which it's executed and how the plot unfolds um, just makes it just exhilarating and just really entertaining to watch. I would agree that I, to me, this is, this is definitely Ryan Johnson's best film. Yes. Oh, uh, hand, just, hands just down. Best hands overall down. package. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, this was a movie that like when the first trailer came out, I was immediately like inject this into my veins. Like, I just love, this is like a movie that I just think like, if there was any movie type of Ryan Johnson to like nail, I felt like this was going to be it because I feel like, again, that thoughtfulness of the plot. And mm-hmm. I think like him taking great inspiration from like those like Agatha Christie mysteries as well as like stuff like Columbo, which I've actually become a very big fan of post Knives Out because I kind of looked into Columbo and I think it's a great, great series. But uh, the 70s Columbo specifically, uh, I feel like this movie is so anchored on its cast being just overall incredible. It's a great ensemble piece. Um, I feel like, I feel like to me, this is one of those movies where like the marketing kind of anchored it 
mm-hmm. like and helped out a little bit because like the move the, the the marketing of the movie is very much like general kind of like definitely pushing the Daniel Craig as the detective thing and kind of the ensemble cast and kind of more like oh you don't really know who did it type of thing and I feel like once you get to the movie and you actually kind of discover what the movie actually is about it's just it becomes more exhilarating and it becomes like you have a character in Marta who we will get into that you really do follow that you really do root for you have a Craig performance and a and a character in Benoit Blanc that really matches up well with the rest of this kind of cast. Yeah. And I think like a great like detective like this is is someone because I think about these like the thing about Ryan one of the other things he thought about was like a lot of times it's like, you know, when you have these big detective movies, it's usually like the detective can be the like the the lead, but you're really kind of following like you have so many suspects that like you kind of get pulled to all these other characters right so right the detective is kind of a lead but he's also kind of more in some ways like a background thing because you have to have him be able to bounce between all the suspects and all the clues and stuff like that and so kind of the idea was that well if you have this other character to anchor it you can kind of really play with with benoit Blanc, kind of going through all these other characters and i think what really anchors this movie is craig's interactions and the benoit Blanc character because you know he can have this kind of mentorship slash kind of almost fatherly relationship with with marta who he teams up with for most of the movie but then when he's doing like kind of his more confrontational stuff and and how him like kind of trying to pull stuff out of of like tony collette's Joni or or kind of digging into kind of Walt's insecurities and stuff like that you can mm. really have him kind of anchor that and then when it all leads up to the end of the movie where he does, he does get to have his big reveal and the big detective like and then this happened, and then you did this, and it, like just it just all works so well. But I think it's really like, it really is the cast. This cast does so many great things with this yeah. script, and there are so many highlights of those characters. It, it, it's actually one of these things where it, it, it seems so simple. Like, it, it, I feel so stupid for putting it like this. But it really is, he just got a lot of good actors, and they all acted well. Yes. Like, and... It that seems like such a low bar, but, but yeah, I mean, I don't know how else to describe but it. But it's also like it's one of those movies where you can just tell that every single one of those actors is relishing this opportunity. Yeah, uh, and even like to do like things that they don't normally get to do. Yeah, obviously like Craig is up there, but I think like Tony Collette is a big hi- big highlight of this movie. Oh, oh, if we're it, it, because I just have to mention it right now, maybe. Maybe one of my favorite acting performances of the movie. Like, oh, honestly, absolutely, I, it's I, definitely I, I, top. Yeah, I like. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into each of the characters, but Tony Collette was easily yeah, a hands down favorite. Yeah, but it's just like, but it's just like me. you get like you know them and like even Jamie Lee Curtis was great, yeah. Don Johnson was great, Michael Shannon is great as always, and like, and it's amazing too because I get we'll get into this, but it's like. It's amazing that Chris Evans has gotten away with playing Captain America yeah. for so long because he's such a natural asshole. Yeah. And, like, it's just so, like, easily, like, just, like, so easily, like, hateable. You know what? If I had one nitpick of the movie is that I wish there was more of him in the movie mm-hmm. because, obviously, like, a lot of the marketing campaign, not a lot of, but a good, that, that one little portion of Chris Evans being in it was – He's wearing he's wearing a sweater. The sweater and, was a yeah, big one. It was, it was wearing a sweater, telling, and and he's being an asshole. He's which telling was, everybody to eat shit. Yeah, which was like the big thing. And ultimately, the plot takes it like again. We're into spoilers, but and, and I kind of it was the only thing. I don't dock points in a movie for. I don't. This isn't something I dock points for. But it's like I kind of like 
had the suspicions that he was ultimately going to be the one behind everything. Um, and he's great in the movie, but just that little bit of like, like the big eat shit scene where he's just like, you eat shit, you eat shit. Like he's just being a douche. Yeah. Like I do kind of wish there was a little bit more Mm -hmm. of that in the movie. Yeah. And, and it's, there's, because he's not, there's a good, like maybe like 20 minutes that he's not in the movie, like up at the top. At the beginning. Yeah. Um, so that, and again, that that's a real minor nitpick. Yeah. It, it's just if I had to have a nitpick, mm-hmm. I was just kind of like missing. Hit. It, it, but again, it was more like he was so good in the bit where he yeah. was just being that character being asshole, yeah. that I wanted I wanted more of it. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so but that yeah. that was all good. Uh, I, I you know it's funny because the big strength of the movie again. Because in many ways, it's exactly the movie you think it is, but not exactly the movie you think it is. And some of that is, like, obviously, like, some of, like, the characters that you follow. But um, one of the things that really struck me about it was, like, I mean, it makes perfect sense that it was nominated for original screenplay. Because I was just, by the end of the movie, was legitimately blown away by the plot and structure and the storytelling yeah. of the, of the, thing, of the yes. piece. Yes. And one of the, I think the biggest things that was interesting is not only taking that Columbo approach where uh, untraditional to the mystery that you think it would be, you actually we are actually given information, uh, more information than you think you would get in, in a mystery right. like you this. Kinda, like you get to see the death. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is like certain bits of information are revealed when you don't think they're going to be revealed. So it puts more of a focus on like the character yes. and like how they get through it and yeah. the drama of it. But one of the key elements that I think was really good is that ultimately for it, it kind of is a family drama movie mm-hmm. in, in some way, like a family drama comedy. Like it's that classic, like big chill or death at a funeral, like family comes together and like, Oh, and then, you know, there's the drama of like, like, Oh, like now all these characters are in one room together, so they have to bring it out. Right. But then there's also like the, the comedy of it. And, so it's funny because it's a mystery that's basically structured around, and that again, I guess there's, that's that Ryan Johnson, uh, you know, his previous uh, like messing with genres, like yeah. kind of like rearing its head again, where you know he's kind of like taking that element of it. Because when you think about it, most of the drama and the humor and the driving force in the movie, when it's not on our main character Marta, is about all these other like, family. Yeah, and it's, and about it's this like family. again, it's like. The family who like they they get together every once in a while, but they have they have all their issues. Everybody has their issues with everybody, and it's kind of like relative to explode because there's a whole bunch of drama within the family. They're all, as Craig would put it, drama mamas. Yeah, as as Benoit Blanc would would say it. Um, but you're you're exactly right. And again, it's again that cast being able to play off each other when they're having these big arguments or when they are actually trying to kind of like get together. Right. It's like there's just magic. And the thing about the script is that. With especially with like a murder mystery or or like a movie like this, you do have to be very tight on you know the plot because the whole, in some senses, it all revolves around like the plot and the clues and and how things are figured out. And it's like again, when you really look at his fandom of Columbo, when you look at Columbo, it's that very same way where it's like in those movies you know the murderer and you know how the murder, but then it's like all the clues of like. Oh, like how he's figuring it out and the plotting of like eventually, like what's that last thing that proves the guilt? You know, it's all and it all leads up to that thing. And it's the same thing in, in like this movie where yes, like you do kind of get the pulled rug pulled from under you because like kind of the the mystery quote unquote is kind of solved early on in the movie to the audience. 
but you still then have to put together like all the things that Blanc is going to find and all the different twists of like how do we get to that big reveal at the end. But you do care about it more because you are following a central character, which is revealed to be the uh, nurse. Yeah, uh, Anna, Anna de Armas, who I, I must say going into this movie, and it was funny because you had joked about this, um, I like she had been in a couple other movies, but I was actually one of these people where I thought that she was a real standout in Blade Runner, mm-hmm. um, twenty forty nine. Um, is it twenty forty nine or yes, yeah? Because sometimes I get confused with Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Uh, yes. but no, it's twenty forty nine. Yeah. Uh, but I actually, I, I actually thought she was a huge highlight in that movie, and I actually like, like called her pretty much kind of like some of the heart and soul in in that movie. Just a, a very underrated uh performance in in that film so i was very curious going into this movie like because and again based off of the the marketing i'm like all right she's probably a you know a a a character in the movie a main character in the movie no idea that essentially that she is the main character of the film but it was funny because i was asking you and some other friends about it and then you're just like and all you guys are like oh no she's really good and then it's like well of course like she's she's the main character of, of of the film uh but just talking about her real quick um, I I just thought she she was just excellent in the role, just such a natural fit. Um, just really plays that um, that th- she draw she walks this fine line of very innocent and naive, but also like spunky and competent mm-hmm. at, at the same time. Like it, it's that delicate balance of because you don't want it to be like oh she's like so innocent that she doesn't know what's going on or she can't handle what's going on. Um, and but you know but but you also want to have a little bit like she's a little bit in over her head too. Yes. And not only do I think that was written perfectly, but I thought that she played played the yeah. role perfectly. And also like to give her credit, like a, a very good role that she took because you know um, I, I think that there was a level of you know her playing always always playing like. Um, for lack of a better term, like the looker, like she's definitely like you know, the, I films have definitely played off of like her being extremely beautiful, like yeah. and 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 w- which she is, and I'm not trying to diminish any of the, her earlier works for that, but and then but in this one to take a very uh modest uh very just a modest innocent approach and her, how she just fit into that like like a glove, um. I don't know. It it, it just it, it showed a level of very subtle but wide range uh, from her. Yeah. That that it, it just she she's somebody I think to keep to keep an eye out yeah. for definitely. I I think now to get a little bit more specific, I do think like just kind of a basic kind of overview of like what that plotting is because I do think talking about her mm. and her her emotional anchor throughout the movie, it it is kind of to talk about like what the actual plot. All right. Is. So there's a murder. The patriarch of the family yeah the the legendary like murder mystery author yeah harlan thromby who's played by yes. christopher Plummer. yeah uh who's, who's also, also great also yeah. i mean he's christopher Plummer. Yeah. like he's exactly what he, you want he to was great this may have been like one of like my favorite things i've seen him in recently mm-hmm. um because again maybe it's because he gets to play around a little bit though too but anyway so he is found one morning dead yes uh supposedly by suicide right His throat has been slit yeah and all all it seems is that he has committed suicide. Yeah, and it's the day of his funeral, and, you know, the entire family is getting together, kind of goes through the Right, because they just had his birthday party. Yeah, like it's just, right, right, right. They did. They had his birthday party. They just party. had his birthday yeah. party, and so they find him the next day after his birthday. It's 85th birthday. He's dead. Yeah. 
And then basically, obviously, there's a police investigation. There's a police investigation, but also uh, involving the infamous and famous Benoit Blanc. <laughs> who had a, who had an article in the New Yorker yeah. about him. The, the last of the gentleman detectives. <laughs> yes. Yes. That, in a weird way, set this like very bizarre, weird world in this movie. Because otherwise, it's funny because it, it's seemingly the modern world mm-hmm. like and there's a lot of things that they talk about just in conversation where this is clearly like i mean there's a baby driver reference in the in this yes. in this movie uh so this takes place in modern day i think yeah, i don't think you can, times, yeah yes. uh but like but the aesthetic of it is like this kind of like very agatha christie type like murder house yeah. and like they're talking about like this character who's essentially like a sherlock holmes type right it, yeah. it, it, and it's very like but it, but I liked it. I liked that it was kind of like this weird kind of like pocket universe world. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that it was just again like this the the location and just like setting him up as as this kind of like you know kind of like this little last of like these classic detectives, like a classic detective in this kind of modern landscape. Right, right, right. Um, as uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who's also great in the movie. You're just gonna hear me say like this character is it, and they were also great. Uh, when she was just like, yes, I read your article in the New Yorker. I thought it was fabulous, or whatever yeah. she said. And then of course Tony yeah. Collette. Yeah, you're famous. Oh God. Oh, uh, don't. I I have to get to Tony Collette, but like later. later. Yeah. But. Anyway, so so yeah, so then that is what happens. So, so and basically, course- and then basically, he essentially reveals that a mysterious party has paid him to investigate this. That even though all signs seemingly point to it to being suicide, someone who he doesn't know has paid him to investigate it further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and uh, he suspects foul play. play. <laughs> uh, and. It's such a weird movie, even though we gave a spoiler warning. It's one of those movies where it's like to really try to unravel it, like verbally, Mm -hmm. would give you a headache. And but in a bit, like it's a movie that kind of almost makes me feel dumb because there's just there's it's just so intricately woven together as like a plot and as like the, the, the script is so tight and all the decisions it makes but one of the big things because obviously we start off with a they're interviewing each right. family so member you get you basically you get and and, and ryan it's funny to talk about ryan because ryan was always worried about these first because it's like you have to interview everybody and get into their world before you you know he did the big and, it, and it acts as introducing the audience to each of the characters yeah, it introduces everybody to the characters and it, it gives you know it's like kind of setting up like again like you think because again, the appearance is like this is just a family grieving their father, uh, you know, or their father figure, or you know, their relative being killed, and you know, and it's like they have to go through this investigation. Oh, because... also, it's a rich white family. Oh, where, oh yes, yeah, yes, where, very rich yeah. white family. <laughs> yes, that's again should be should be noted. Um, but which then, I'm not just saying that as a joke. That actually is important. It's to, important to, to the apply. movie. Yeah. Um, but then you also get like again Blanc pushing in on them, and then you find out the kind of each of their little dark sides or each of their little yeah. arguments with 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 Harlan and and sort of kind of building again. You're kind of building that okay, well this family isn't as together as it as it seems it, it is. Well, it, and it's interesting, and this is where some of the plotting rears its head of like you know it, it, it's it's interesting because other than certain, and I would love to 
get usually I, I kind of leave this kind of stuff for you writers uh, yeah. like the who love getting into the weeds on this kind of stuff but i would be interested in like you know seeing those like you know he ryan johnson's known for like posting either like the the notepad or the board of how he like like plotted yeah. everything because it felt like a movie where there was like maybe like five things that we do have to keep close to the chest like yeah. i'm just pulling that number out, out of my out of my eye but like you there, here's the five things that we're not going to tell and keep a secret but there's a bunch of things that we are just going to be upfront about mm-hmm. so in this whole scene where all the characters and there there's kind of your obligatory like all right the camera pans through the night just from a third party perspective yeah and then like you see certain things and you see like this person like walked out of the room and this person like was arguing with this person but you don't know what it was about and so during this whole montage of like you know meeting each of these characters individually and, getting, actually, and then getting their perspective of the birthday party right and Yes, you do get their perspective of the birthday party, but I also believe during that scene, isn't that also when, when like, what's his name, uh, when Benoit like po- pokes a little bit more, even though they're lying, the flashback actually shows you yes. what yes. actually right. happened. Like, like, yeah, Don Johnson's yeah. one is most specifically that. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, so for instance, like, uh, Don Johnson's character says like, um, oh, like we were having an argument about. Right. Like something, uh, sending the mother to a nursing home. Yeah, sending a mother to a nursing home. But the flashback would show, like, oh, Christopher Plummer found out that he was having an affair on Jamie Lee. Uh, yeah, he was he was cheating on Jamie Lee Curtis, and who's Christopher Plummer's daughter, and uh, he's gonna write a note and tell her if he doesn't. If he doesn't uh, tell, her. tell her, you tell her. her I so will. And, and so, and then that goes throughout each of these characters right. where they kind of give a story, but then the flashback shows you exactly what right. happened. And, it, and it's also like the family talking about each other too, because yeah. you have like Michael Shannon's Walt, and and like you know the whole thing about like he runs the production, uh, the publishing company, and then there's the whole like, you know, um, like Jamie Lee Curtis is like, well, I'm not going to throw my you know my brother under the bus. Like mm-hmm. you're trying to get me if you're trying to bait me, detective. You're not going to immediately cut to Don Johnson. Like Walt doesn't run shit. Like, yeah. Like he just like it's like a thing that dad gave him and he hasn't built up anything of himself. And, and you know it's funny because oftentimes we have talked about that that fine line of like when you just sh- when you show the audience your hand, it's a very fine line because if we go back to like an old movie like um, View to a Kill, yeah, like that's a movie where they kind of overplay their hand and now you're just watching the character catch up to it and then you're like, well now this isn't entertaining. But in this way because ryan shows us like all these bits of information it's almost like well if you're showing us this but i still don't know how he got killed and it's kind of like well you're kind of showing it in a way where i don't think it's any of these guys even though they all kind of have a reason but right the the way these questions brought me on board like now i'm engaged like i'm like how does this all fit together because it immediately gets you into the world immediately gets to everything about this again like as much as it's like a, la- a lengthy part of like getting this all set up, it immediately gets into Benoit Blanc as a detective because yeah. whereas these you know police officers are just trying to get through it, um, the two the two main police officers are great too by the way. Yeah, uh, uh, the one uh, played by Lakeith Stanfield yeah, and, um, and I, I don't Noah, know. Se- Noah Segan. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, who is in all of Ryan's movies. Right. He's actually like I I, I had to go look at the, like Noah Segan. I just realized was Kid Blue in Looper. He's the assassin that's like you know that wants to make the big play. Oh, he's always playing with the gun, yeah. like that. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. I know. So yeah. I was like, was oh, he what? anything in Last Jedi? Was he? Uh, he I think he had a small role. I okay. have to look it up. Right. Uh, but so they're great too. But basically, like these guys are just like they're trying to get through it. 
you know, all yeah. that sort of stuff. This is a suicide, Benoit. Like, there's nothing else right. to whereas, it. Whereas you can see Blanc, like, he's pulling this information out of them. And he, yeah. he can tell that they're, they're lot, obviously they're like, they're not giving him everything. He's trying to, like, get the, you know, he's playing detective. Meanwhile, you're getting. Well, he's the, he's, he's a great, he's one of the last old gentleman detectives yeah. for a reason. Yeah. But then you get all these, you know, you get their introduction to all these characters. And, and them being, like, the, the rich white family is very much, like, so key to, like, their world. Because you can immediately see, you immediately know this family. Like, I think that's really the key. Like, you immediately know this family, their dynamics with each other. You immediately know, like, they're definitely, like, privileged. They're definitely, like, you know... They tolerate each other because they're all into this like rich world. Essentially, right, they all right. have to see each other once every once in a while for a birthday, get together, whatever it may be. They tolerate each other, different like viewpoints on things, but like you, you immediately know the family. Now, uh, the only the only one, I, and I think I missed a plot point on it. Tony Collette's character, Joni, um, she's uh, what was her deal again? She was married to another. Thromby's son who had passed. Got it. So, okay. So she, yeah. basically, she's like uh, in like she's because we were watching it and I, it was so one of those. She's still like involved with the family because right. they were talking about it. At, like I knew she wasn't a daughter, but I I had just like kind of like space past like that one key right. bit of information. Yeah. So thank you for so like you know that. so like uh, Catherine Langford is like still like Harlan's granddaughter right and right stuff like that and her just, deal is that she is a uh because the, they get into like some of the grandkids too yeah and then she is like a liberal arts uh major yeah like very much like uh, you, you and and you know it, it's interesting because i i it's the one other nitpicks i have about out about the film is that you know sometimes when I think sometimes Ryan gets topical to mixed results, and I think that plot-wise it works really well yeah. in, in this movie. I, I don't think some of his his topical stuff is as clever as I think it could be. And I, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's very straightforward, but it, it still kind of works. Um, I think it works for the plot. Yeah, I, I think because like once you start learning things about certain characters, it pays off plot-wise in a certain way. Yeah, but th- there is a level of like. You know, the, the, as funny as as funny as it is, like because th- there's this bit where the grant one of the grandchildren, she's like a liberal arts major, and they and then the kid is like a another, right, yeah. a, a, like the the sorry the one of the other grandsons is yeah. like a right wing like leaning kid yeah is and they keep on joking like oh he's like a an alt right troll like yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like that which. Is fine. I, I think uh, you know it, it's one of those things. I, I think it, it it plays for laughs, but I don't think it goes anywhere. Right. Other than that, there's a couple things I will say just about that because I know like we're gonna talk a lot about this movie. I think because there's just so much to discuss about it. One thing I will say is that I what while I do like th- I do think that like some of the political and the topical stuff is very just on the nose, straightforward. Again, it works for the plot. What I do kind of like about it is it still really showcases that none of the family is, like, great, because I do think it's, Oh, like, sure. That's what I'm saying. Plot-wise, right. I think it because works. Because it's, like, because it's, like, yeah, like, you, like, there's a political discussion, like, in the middle of the movie where it's, like, any political, like, basic political discussion that has that had at a family gathering. Yeah. Where it's, like, you know, it's, like, Don John, it's, like, there's definitely, like, specific Trump and, and 20, you know, election things, which I don't want to get really into, but it's basically, like, you know, it's, like, Don's, like, you know, he's a Republican who's, like, yeah, Trump's an asshole, but maybe he's what he needs. Like Tony Collette is like the ba- most basic like Democrat. Like they're putting kids in cages, but like she's not. She's still not like she herself is like running kind of a scam. Like kind of 
Right. Like yeah. A scam, like skincare company. So it's like, and it's like her arguments never get in depth. Like it still kind of works in showcasing. Like, there's no good side to this family. They're all kind of well. And, and here's the thing. I, I think again, it works plot wise because because that kind of becomes a twist in the movie because you keep on seeing right, this yeah. party from everybody's perspective, and then when you see it through Marta's perspective, you kind of find out that it's a that this family is very low grade bigotry. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it's like kind of like that. Like, you know, they're not, they're not all out like, you Race, know, they're racist, all, but, but like, but like, know, they're yeah. like, it's also like every time someone refers to her, she's from a different country. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like, like I think throughout the movie, she's from Paraguay, Uruguay, Uruguay and Ecuador. And Brazil. <laughs> and at one Brazil point. Yeah. yeah. Cuban. But, she's Cuban right. at one point. I, so I but there's say, like, but like, for example, like, there's a thing where like they're talking about Marta in this early scene where they're doing an interview and it's like, yeah, like Marta's part of the family. And then you see like warm inviting, like, come on over Marta, like that sort of thing. And then later in the movie, you find out that he's calling her in to like start talking about immigration right, and right. this political conversation, which yeah, is like, they're oh. definitely the family where they're like, well, we're not racist because Marta's part of the family. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're definitely that. So I had two thoughts about like this, that whole aspect of it, because at first I was like, all right, this is kind of some of the topical stuff that, you know, I think that kind of bit Ryan in the butt a little bit on, like, Last Jedi, kind of rearing its head. Like, yeah. all right, and then it kind of moved on. But then it, it, it motivated the behavior of the family going forward. Mm-hmm. And you and you kind of, now you understand what their true nature is, and it fed into the rest of the movie. And then I thought it was, and then I went back. I'm like, oh, no, that was done perfectly. And that's kind of one of those things where I was saying that, all of those little things that I don't think worked in previous movies worked like gangbusters here. Uh, my one nitpick is, is that it is one of those things like, I, again, I don't know how I feel about it because it's one of those things like they're clearly using all the common, like the all the current political rhetoric, yeah. but they're not, like they either cut away from like certain words or like they're not like getting they go into all in depth. In yeah, it, yeah. And, and I'm like, I think that's the thing. I'm it's like, like, well, either come up with something or just just say it. You know right, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So no, I guess again, I think it's again, yeah. it's like a fine line. I think there are some aspects which could be like de- I guess what I say some aspects could be deeper, but it still very works in establishing the world. In the sure, sure, and because the big one of the other big twists in the movie is that. um Marta is given the inheritance to everything. So, so basically, to kind of go, so you have this whole beginning of the movie where everybody's being interviewed. This includes Marta, where we find out that she cannot lie because she yeah. pukes everywhere. Every she, time pukes she pukes when every time that she lies. So basically, then when she gets finally sit down for her official interview with Blanc, you basically find out the you get to see the scene in which Christopher Plummer dies. Yeah, and the main well, and then also right before that is that she basically confirms all of. Benoit's like suspicions. Yeah, like she basically confirms, yeah. like, oh yeah, Don Don Johnson is having an affair. That Tony Collette is like about to be cut off from the family, from money wise, and like and like all this sort of stuff. So basically, which again on the surface though, you would think, well, isn't this a little bit repetitive? Because as an audience, we already know all this stuff is right. true. But when they do get to this scene that you're about to talk about, they've now established the friendship between. Because right. when, when Marta and um, right, because I again, keep on forgetting the, his uh, name, uh, Harlan. Harlan, like they established that relationship, right? Because so, every time, every time, she, like Benoit asks her about one of these things, it cuts to a conversation between her uh, with Marta and Harlan, where he's basically like telling her, like, 
look at this like he's cheating on her and like you know well you right, know basically yeah. like their conversation so that she knows everything they're good friends and like right. she, and, and, yeah. and basically so we get to this big flashback where it's like like tell me everything what happened then we get to this flashback with her where she's 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 his personal nurse she's basically the only one that now he finds a friendship with because he's he's basically said like this whole family's fucked up mm-hmm. you know i've i've ruined i basically do, haven't done enough for them to what, like, was, what was his issue with jamie lee curtis that was the only one i didn't get um well it was basically like i know it was kind of like an overall this is good this is the good for the entire family yeah and i i i, I think it was mostly because it's like you know it's like she still like hasn't really worked for herself and like she's definitely like more comfortable with just the lifestyle, I think. Oh no, but she had her own business, right? Like if I remember, estate, real estate business, right? Okay, so she was. So I think it was more or less like obviously she wanted a a piece of the pie, right? Yeah, ultimately, and yeah. I think that plot wise, you find out that she's maybe not the nicest person. Yes, exactly. Um, so but, basically, like yeah, she's gonna so he's gonna cut sense. off the rest, the whole family. Uh, you also like the only thing we know about Chris Evans' character is that he had a big argument with him as well, and yeah. Shush out. So like, everybody screwed up. In this family, and Christopher Plummer is like, I'm gonna cut, you know, basically it's just like, it's just gonna be for the best. They're all gonna be like, you know, I gotta, I gotta basically like sort of start fixing this. And they, they gotta play a game of Go, and then, you know, he's like, I'm gonna go to bed. Marta, like. Now, and, and this, and now, and this becomes maybe the movie's first, like, wait, what? <laughs> so basically what happens is that, like, she has to inject him with, like, you know, a little bit of morphine and a little bit more of this yeah. other kind of. Certain inject, drugs. Certain yeah. drugs. But then Marta discovers that she accidentally, to her eyes, injected it with 100 milligrams of morphine, which mm-hmm. is going to kill him within 10 minutes. And she's like desperately... This is a great which, by team. the way, hilarious scene. Right, because it's this whole thing, again, Christopher Plummer is having the time of his life playing this. Like, he's, you know, he's very playful with Marta. Like, again, like you can feel the genuine friendship. You can feel that, like, Marta's the only one that really listens and actually considers him. Because even... There's a little, lots of little details because even when everybody's like remembering the party, like when like Jamie Lee Curtis is remembering the party, it's like, oh, her and and Don Johnson are are presenting the cake, and then when Walt's remembering the party, it's like him presenting the oh, cake. So they all think- I, I should say we will not do justice on this podcast, like but, illustrating all the little plants and payoffs in right, the film. Yeah. Like so, you just have to watch it for that. So basically, but basically, like it's a great scene because like she's definitely like she has this other drug that she can insert with to like you know level out the morphine if she's given too much. Yeah. Meanwhile, Christopher Plummer's character is like, you know what? This is a great idea for a murder. Like, yeah. And it's like. And he's like, and it only takes ten minutes, and it's like, yes, and she can't find. She's like, it would be the perfect thing. It's like, it's like if you, if you call the ambulance, it wouldn't get here in time. And, <laughs> and like, and like, how would you, you know? It's just like he was great. I thought that was and then that, that scene was so like, funny. And you know, and then basically he's like, do you have the antidote? She's like desperately searching it. Fantastic acting, yeah, by Ana de Armas here. She's like upset. She like knows that like I, I oh, yeah. and you feel it too because yeah. it's such like a like such a freak accident, right? Like, and yeah. it's like so like it it, it really it's. It's a moment in the movie. I think it's the most, the biggest moment in the movie that throws you. Mm-hmm. I would say yeah. that you're like, whoa, like because again, they're giving you kind of what happens. Yes, they're telling you exactly what the thing is. So then, like, basically, she was like, "It's not here. I'm gonna call an ambulance." Harlan stops her and basically, like, if you know, if you're correct, I only have like six minutes left, anyways. You got to get out of this. Here's how you're gonna basically like get away with this, right? Because he is the the expert. He's yeah. like the murder mystery expert. So she has to go, and I'm not gonna go through. She has to go through this whole thing of like pretend, like you know, pretending to leave, 
and you know and then coming back and you know pretending to be him and all this sort of stuff and then this whole convoluted like this is how we're going to cover it up yes and then so it'll look like a suicide and then you'll get off easy like yeah. nobody would suspect you right yeah and or at least no common uh <laughs> no, no common, common person yeah will be, yeah <laughs> right. i don't think he's expecting you know a ben a, a last of the gentleman detectives yeah. <laughs> to, like, to come on in but there's a whole thing and then you get it's like again this it's just a very emotional moment where you just he like he was real like you know and you kind of know because we just mentioned it like he knows he's got to give her the inheritance he knows that like if he's if she's pegged for his murder that she's not going to get it and the family will still be fucked up so it's like you got to get out of this you got to find your way out and it's just because he but also because he's gen, he genuinely cares about her and then you know and it's also like at this point you know that she can't lie because she pukes so if anything that comes up like that is her lying they, they you automatically know like, yeah, that's what she kind of gets away with it through like a lie by omission. Like lie she by kind omission. of she kind of says like, "Well, this is what happened," mm-hmm. and but and then she ends up puking like like right. elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, but then uh, eventually, so we we kind of learn all of that, and then we get to the will reading, right? Uh, which the will reading is given the best. What was it called? It's like a tax return, but uh, it's like like, uh, like it's like I've always wanted to see a will reading. Like it's not. It's like how much like imagine a community theater performance of a tax return. Yes, which I thought was an amazing line. Right. I also one of the things I should mention is that um, Benoit Blanc has also made Marta his official like Watson for this. Like he's pulled her in to be like, you're going to be my partner right. in helping me out here because like he's, what he says is like, you're the only one that doesn't have a motive right now. Mm-hmm. And you're, you've got this kind of pure heart that you're, you're going to basically help me out here anyways. And then again, there's a whole kind of like her trying to cover up evidence, like as they're investigating the house. But again, Blanc is still kind of on the nose about it of, you know, like, and, and like, you know, she's like covering up footsteps and like and erasing tapes, but then she still can't cover like you know the the terrace she climbed up to the hidden window, like a piece broke off and you know easily like discovered it. So mm-hmm. more is just afoot. But then the will reading comes, and yes, the entire family is like, oh, well, you should also mention that finally Chris Evans's character comes in, right? And he's basically like, you know, he's the son of Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson. He's known as this like major dickhead yeah. just like everybody kind of kind of him. a slacker yeah. slacker and and like you know even like you can even tell like his parents aren't really proud of him at this point like, also but like well i guess like his parents are rich so that's why he has the house that he does yes. i was like he doesn't like they say he's never had a job in his life and then right. he has but, no, that house. but i guess that kind of is the point yeah. so all right yeah. but basically and then like you know and then he basically reveal he, it gets revealed that He's been cut out of the will, and everybody's like, "Yes, maybe the best thing that ever happened to you." And then he gets in like he shit everybody, and then we get to the will reading, where we find out that everybody's been cut out of the will, and the entire inheritance, the publishing company, and the house all go to Marta. Yeah, and and I think this is also another good turning point in the movie because then it really shows everybody's true colors, especially Jamie Lee Curtis, who. Yes is the first to the, be like, you well, bitch. She's like, not, <laughs> like, she's the only one that really hasn't, like, turned, like, you, that really hasn't really shown a dark she, side. Yeah, well, she's the most maternal figure even, of the family. Right, and yeah. it's like, there's, like, the family kind of cares about Marta, but she's also, like, the one, I guess, has shown the most affection to Marta in, in some senses, but she's immediately... Well, the one. They, they, there's also the funny running gag of, like... Like, well, I, I thought you should have been at the wedding, but the, I was outvoted. The funeral, at, the fu- yeah. at the funeral, but, but you were I was outvoted. But like everybody <laughs> says that, so it's yeah. like definitely not true. 
Uh, and then also, okay, the lawyer played by Frank Oz. I, I love seeing him in these types of yeah. roles. Like, he's, yeah, he's great. Per, per, I thought it, he was. It's very exactly good. like a Frank Oz role, and, and the kind of the humor that he has, where it's like he looks at the like he can't read the like he's like he has his assistant that keeps pointing out things in 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 like the the will and stuff like that in the letter, and then he's like this should be simple. He like just opens it up. Oh yeah, no, it's no, not not really complicated at all, obviously. Uh, but, he, but basically, Marta they chase her off. Chris Evans kind of like helps her escape, and right. then then you're kind of like. You know, then again, it's the whole thing is like now the entire family has a reason to because the, the whole thing about it, too, is like the family has been like, why is there this investigation? You know, you're just prolonging this. This is a suicide, blah, 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 blah. Now the family has definitely been like, we need to pin this on her. Like, right, we right. Need to figure out that she definitely. Now we need to lean into that it's an investigation. And then on top of that, now Chris Evan, no, Chris Evans' character definitely suspects and knows like that like right. she was behind it. And then he finds. So it really is like a movie where it's just like simultaneously twisting and turning, but very, but feels very streamlined. Yes. Like it just feels so seamless in well, all the really, turns that it, it's taking. It really taking. is because like once you get to that point where you know that Marta's the main character, everything runs through her. So it's not like you really have to keep going between like now, when you get to this point, it is streamlined because now the family is seemingly once again united under we need to definitely get our money back. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, Marta is definitely still like, I can't get, like I, she's in this one where it's like I, need to get away with this but should i get away with this like i you know she still thinks she killed him right and right, everything right. like that and well and, and before we kind of get more into the weeds on the plot because that, that was kind of a lot that we we went through yeah. just some of the elements that we specifically about all all this in the movie um i'm trying to think of like what what would be the good way well i mean i mean again i, I go back to just the way the story unfolds mm-hmm. and 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 not even just like on a on a on a clinical in a in a clinical sense it's very entertaining and it's very funny so much fun to watch yeah it, it's it, like it's like a great the great murder mystery in that sense where it's just like there's just an energy that just so propels through and especially with this one that propels it through the characters and kind of the twists and the turns but you just are entertained yeah, by it, every it, aspect of it. it. It's super. It's super breezy, super efficient, um, and but also while being very funny. So for instance, like, and it doesn't waste any time either. So like, you know, there's the bit where Marta suspects that like, you know, they they're gonna look at a security tape, but like she knows that she's gonna be on the security tape. Uh, so they basically the film kind of does a sleight of hand thing where she hands off the tape, but she has like a, like a magnet because right. and then earlier in the movie, like not even earlier, like a couple seconds ago in the movie, the groundskeeper says like, well, usually I just erase the tapes with like a magnet, you know, because I don't need them or whatever. So it's like and then but not not with this one. And then like seconds later, like she does like a sleight of hand yeah. to do that. And then there's like a she realizes like because she as they're. As Benoit is like you know, uh, um, going through the investigation, she realizes that oh, she did leave some clues behind. Yes. So there's like these little of, of like these little events where Benoit realizes. Well, first she realizes it's like oh my god, there's gonna be my my footprints here, and then Benoit's like wait, nobody move. There's footprints. And then like Marta's already back and she's like playing dumb. And she's like, what? And then she's like, no, Marta, don't move. What was that? <laughs> and, like she again, starts, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like little things like that that are super funny. But then just, also- like, again, a ba- like just same, just on that, like a background gag where she finds like the broken piece of like the, the guard, like the thing on the on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. so like Benoit's like looking at it, like, like looking around. 
and then like you just see her throw it to the dog in the background right right and it's right. just like again like quick little thing but then the dog ends up bringing it back and then ben wall's like on the case again yeah and then and then also little things throughout the movie too like they're just planning and paying off like crazy like yeah. there's like little things like where we see you know chris evans um like you know when he uh, when he comes to the house the dogs don't like him because mm-hmm. i think they have a thing where it's like don't they have a line where it's like oh dogs have a good judge of character or whatever yeah. so the dogs don't like him and they bark and that pays off later in the movie because he's not able to get back to the house to cover up his schemes yes. because like the, the the dogs are there but then they show that like oh but the dogs love Mar- Mar- like Marta which makes sense plot wise but also like theme wise because it's like oh she's a great person yeah. and like she's lovely and, and, and whatnot so and I liked all that and we kind of went through just like the art like how all the characters kind of like reveal their nature and everything yeah. and it's kind of going through some highlights of that I have to mention it again. Tony Collette is amazing. She's fantastic. In this movie. She's, she's definitely one of the highlights. She she is hysterical because basically, like her whole deal is like you, we kind of mentioned what her origin was. Um, but the character she plays is essentially like every bohemian L.A. Valley girl that that you've ever that that you've known, mm-hmm. like or that or just like that cliche. But it's so funny because like you you normally see like a 20 something year old version of yes, that. Right. And it was just, but when you see Tony Collette play, she just embodies that role. Yes. Too well. Too well. And, and absolutely she's hysterical. She's great. Like, again, it's like, you know, it's like, it's an Australian doing that kind of Valley girl accent. And right. It's like perfect. Oh, absolutely. Tony Collette is one of the m- biggest actresses, per- performers, whatever, that you forget has, like, a native accent. accent. Yeah. But yeah. it's, like, but it's like her, the, her, the way she rolls her eyes and just, like, the little mo- movements she has, like, yes. her, her facial movements are incredible. The best one was when, I think you had mentioned it, where she's like, you're, like, famous. Yes. <laughs> and like, then, well, but then whatever great. she's, like, defending herself, because, like, her whole deal is, like, she, you know, Harlan has been paying for her daughter's, you know, liberal arts school. But then, like, you know, it's one of those things where, like, she's kind of pulled a con where, like, he direct wires it directly to the school. But then he finds out that, like, one of his other assistants has been sending uh, Tony Collette a check personally. Mm-hmm. But even, like, her defending herself, well, there was, like, a uh, wiring issue with the with yeah. school. And, you know, it was just a little thing where we had, we had to sort that out. Like, it's just... It's so specific, yeah, but no, so it, it, it's perfect. It, and it's she's definitely like one of the absolute highlights of the film. And just her performance is so much fun. Um, and then another great performance I thought was Michael Shannon. I thought it was really mm-hmm. good, and because Michael Shannon's always really good. Yes. And Michael Shannon does that. Like, there's one or two times where he goes full Michael Shannon, mm-hmm. and he just loses it. Yeah. Uh, but he actually kind of plays like this strangely broken man yes that that it just worked but then it's like there's like a scene in this movie where he's like super threatening to yeah but like without becoming a cartoon because it's easy for him to be like and now i'm the bad guy but no it's just like you know it's just michael shannon just being kind of like you know kind of like getting into like marta's personal space and just being kind of creepy and it like comes off as threatening because it's like michael shannon um but also kind of you can play with it because it's like you you know, because of the character that they've established, you know, like, it's not like he's not, like, a huge threat. But and so it just that really worked. 
Um, but I just thought he was great. And then the moments that he blows up are, yeah. are just amazing. The, the, the moment where he blows up on Chris Evans yeah. is great. Want another Chris, cookie? Yeah, because Chris Evans has been eating cookies during the whole scene. He's like, yeah, you want another cookie? I'll get you a glass of milk. All the bi- <laughs> all the bridges you've broken. You're, this family, you're never going to hear from this family. Like, he's so enthralled yeah, that he, like, he's, great. he's out of the rent. He, he, yeah, he is. He's awesome. Um, like I said, um, Jamie Lee Curtis is really good. Don Johnson is uh, really good. Um, and uh, uh, like I said, like the and then the kid who plays like the grandson is is is, is fine. Uh, but he is also there for one of the amazing jo- because earlier in the movie, they're like uh, he's like, oh, he like was in the bathroom for the his, entire party for, for the entire party. And he overheard. He's like, well, what was he doing in the bathroom? And then somebody's, you know, they make the joke like he's like, oh, he's like masturbating to dead animals because he's an alt right troll. Like, you know, yeah. they always they always yeah. say that. And then some of the other families like, yeah, he's a creep. He's like, he's like a little creep. Yeah. And then it leads into another <laughs> a moment later in the movie where the <laughs> only time he's mentioned ever again is when Benoit Blanc refers him. So it's like he's like heard by the masturbating. <laughs> Overheard by the well, Nazi no, yeah, child no, masturbating no. in the bedroom. Yeah, yeah, like, like, what was overheard by the Nazi child masturbating in the bathroom? <laughs> like, it's such... I think... I don't know. I want to kind of insert it here if we can, because it would be a great line, but uh, maybe not. But anyway, so yeah, we get this whole thing where um, now we basically got to the point where, you know, Marta has now known as this this woman who's inherited this because Har- harlan's this famous author so now she's like out there it's like the news knows like she's this famous yeah person. famous enough where the fact that this happens is newsworthy is notable yeah. then like you know chris evans is seemingly helping her along and basically you know and then it's also like there's kind of this thing where you know she's been friendly with katherine langford's character they smoke weed uh at one point together because the other housekeeper has a stash of weed but then, like, she gets a call, and, like, Catherine kind of, again, changes her tone. She's been pressured by the family to be like, yeah, I, I need to go to school. You should give me the money back. And and even though, she, you know, again, Marta's like, you're, you're, I will help you out no matter what. It's still kind of like, you know, she's, right. even she's kind of gotten caught up in the family business. Right, because the, the big thing is, and again, I guess this is where, like, you know, she's, like, the friendly liberal yeah. of the family. And, like, so she... Because I guess the biggest thing that she knew is that I guess Marta confided that that the mother was there illegally. Like her and, mother is a, is a legal yeah, immigrant, mm, yeah. yeah. And so, so like, well, like, does that? So then, then and then, you know, Marta gets a blackmail note. Basically, like Chris Evans is like, you have to figure this out because they have the tox report, you know, toxology report, blah 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 blah. They go to the medical office to see that it's been burned down. Mm-hmm. We get to the baby driver chase, quote unquote, which Ryan specifically said that he saw baby driver said, I'm never going to top anything like that, so I'm going to make my chase like the silliest chase possible. Because mm-hmm. it's like they're in like a minivan and they're not going fast enough, so Marta still like stops. And then, again, great little moment where like they, they go down an alleyway. She's like taking a breath. So it's like, okay, we got to get to that location. And then they're immediately like cut to like the police are like, well, we went down the alleyway too. Like there's there's you really didn't like lose us. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then like, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, um, and then and then it because all... now it's like Marta's like in between this thing where it's like she's gotten it seems like she's gotten so far deep into this that yeah. like she has to like come clean. Well, at some I, point. I have to admit though, the movie did really convince me that the the the, the chips are being stacked against her. Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of little elements where I'm like. Oh man, how is like she really going to get out of this one? And then again, the movie kind of surprised me by being like, "Oh no!" Then then she fesses up when it gets like right. too Cause, real because basically she go, she's convinces Blanc like Blanc's like, "Okay, we're going to get to 
Blanc at this point thinks that like, okay, Chris Evans's character has forced her to drive, so they're gonna go and question him finally because they haven't, you know, he hasn't, he wasn't he, there. He's like the number one suspect at that point. At that point, because you know he hasn't been interviewed yet because he like missed the funeral and he hasn't been to the house at all, so he's like basically avoiding everything, you know, because it's basically like he's a dick. Uh, Marta still convinces Blanc to go to like the rendezvous point for this blackmail. Finds it's the other housekeeper, Fran, mm-hmm. and she she finds her dying thinks she's like you, know, you did this and basically like decides to basically it's like decides to help her try to survive despite the fact that it basically is going to lead her to like getting like basically like this is the end of the road like they're going to question how i knew this was b and then now i'm going to confess right also great cutaway to benoit blanc singing some sondheim yeah in the yeah. car. well you know i i let's i want to jesus car alarm going off yeah Sorry, sorry, well, guys. We should talk about Craig. Uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, so that's what I was going to say. So, yeah, like, Craig, because we haven't really talked about him that much where, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's great in the movie, but I'm trying to think of, like, a more like another nuanced uh, thing to say about I him. Just, I like, I mean, he's great. I think, yeah. you know, it's just fun to hear that, like, that act, that southern drawl mm-hmm. <laughs> that Chris Evans is like. KFC backyard draw. Like that. <laughs> uh, uh, but I think he's great. But I do think it's his moments of warmth that yeah. I think is a definite highlight of the movie. Because one, he's so like again, he just has this relationship with Marta. I think to this like the conversation where he tells her that he's basically like you're gonna be my partner. Where he, they're talking about gravity's rainbow, which is another great line. Like, nobody read that book, but he's like he's talking, it's about the arc. And he like, keeps talking about arcs of the case. So that there's that sort of warm little moment. And I kind of go back to, because there's the, the other character is like the really, that Harlan's mom, who's like extremely old. Mm-hmm. And like nobody, you kind of think where it's like everybody, kind of, it's like the grandmother that everybody kind of like pays attention to, but doesn't seem like anybody's really caring. Mm-hmm. No one's checked in on her. And there's this really just kind of nice little scene where Craig basically is like, I'm sure nobody's like checked in on you, you know, and talking about like, you know, like grieving is like you know the selfishness of youth yeah, and all this yeah, sort of yeah. stuff, and it's just like it really illustrates kind of the Benoit Blanc character, and I think you can tell that Craig is really into this character because I think he's developed yeah. it to a certain degree where, you know, it's just like you get those little moments of depth in the moments of warmth within the character where you can kind of see that he's someone who genuinely like cares about like the cases. I- I'll have to be honest. I-, I think I have to look after that when I watch it again. Maybe there is something to that because ultimately like I think my opinion about the character is I think it takes really he's great throughout the movie, but I think it really takes to the end of the movie that you truly realize why how great he is in the movie and what the character is in the movie to begin with. Yeah. Because I think for a while and they joke about it in the movie too about why he's there. Like, there's a certain point where, you know, like, Marta just kind of, like, she fesses everything up, she finds everything, yeah. or as you think to that point, and she makes a joke where it's just, like, like... You're a pretty lousy detective. Yeah, you're, I thought you were supposed to be great. You're a pretty lousy detective. And and then so, he responds... There's a little bit where... To I, be fair, yeah. you're a pretty lousy murderer. Yeah. So there's a level of, like... I mean, and I enjoyed him in the movie, but I was kind of resigning. Like, I was like, all right, well, I guess this is just, like, he's kind of, like, a quirky character in this movie, and I guess maybe the thing is, like he's not really going to be like some big detective, but then you get to the end and he just gets, he basically gets to chew it all up. Like then he becomes the main character for a third act set piece. Yeah. And then he, it just, it just explodes. And I, I and ultimately, um, it, it, 
once again, the way that Ryan interweaves that character throughout the plot is becomes brilliant as it goes into the the later half of the movie. And, you know, Daniel Craig just takes it all the way, you know, to home base. And, yeah. and, and the thing about Craig in general, it's just so clear that he is at the stage in his career where he just wants to have fun. Yes. And it just, you could tell this is a bit more of a natural, more pleasant fit. I haven't seen No Time to Die, but I often joke like just none uh, of us yeah, have. Yeah, none of us have. But like all the scenes in that movie just seem like he just plays it with just so much anger that yeah. it's just it, it just from again just from the trailers it just seems like oh my god. But it's just with this it just feels like there is fun and and it's and it's a natural it's a natural fit yeah. too. Uh, when I got the Blu-ray in the mail, you weren't home obviously, so I could definitely like spoil myself on this. The first thing I did was I popped in the Blu-ray. I immediately went into the big, the big scene. The yeah. big, here's like him solving the murder scene, because it's such a fun. It's exactly yeah. what you want that scene to be. It's you know, and again, like Ryan allowing kind of that that stage mindset of Craig to kind of come through, where you really feel him build, and I think that performance allows him to kind of build up the drama of that sequence. And just everything about it is just, it's so spectacular. It's a fantastic, just, like, it's again, it's like, you just realize it's like, because I think, like, the other thing about the, the movie is that, like, he's very much, like, been handicapped a little bit by sort of Marta, like, you know, being on it and being kind of as guilty, quote-unquote, as she is, where, you know, he, she, you know, she is trying to kind of hinder the thing, but it's also just, like, there's not much for him to draw on, but even, like, the little things where it's, like, he, you can kind of, there's little moments where you can see, like, he's actually, like, doing the investigation. He's going thoroughly as he can. Right. But it's really this last scene where he immediately, like, puts it all together because the whole thing is that, again, they, they, they think the toxicology report is going to reveal, okay, well, Marta did it. The one copy that Fran had um, when they she discovers her in, in the abandoned, like, laundromat, is um you know seemingly burned or taken away so all they all they have is the confession but then they realize oh she said stash there's another one here it is so basically looking at the toxicology report he realizes that you know her confession is nonsense because harlan as it turns out yes and then here's the final big thing is that she didn't because again Chris Evans had switched the vials, yeah. basically. So basically, then she's like, "I." Chris did. Evans was the only. It, it turns out that the reveal is Chris Evans, as we kind of had mentioned, is ultimately the killer. Yeah. Or that he was, he's responsible he's for responsible. Trying, to, trying to frame Marta. So yeah. his whole thing was that he switched the the things in the vials. That it was going to be that she killed him. Then you know the will would be reversed because the Slayer rule that she killed him. So mm -hmm. then the family would get their fortune back. But it right. turns out that you know Marta seemingly had just accidentally given him the right dosage right. and stuff. But because she's a good person, which is a little silly, but I mean, I you think know, it's a nice it, moment. No, it, it works. No, I, I like it. it. It's just well, basically, it's like the thing where she like because again, this was a thing where Ryan talked about where the original script it was just like oh she switched them back accidentally, so it was this that yeah. And then he always sends like these two screenwriter friends of his the script first, and they thought it would be a good moment. It's just like no, she actually survived because he she was a good nurse. That yeah, that was the thing. It's like she. It, the only reason I I said was like. Like I, I, it was one of those things where I did want to ask all my doctor friends, like, is that 
is that really a thing? Yeah. Like, would you know the difference between like these two things? But right. again, but as but a again, movie, it's another another warm moment yeah, where Craig is like, "You it are works. a good person. You were a good nurse. And if if Harlan had listened to you, he'd still be alive yeah. because you you know you just you knew it. You just you've done it a million times. You know what you've done. So which is she, also kind of bittersweet too because it meant like he kind of died for no reason. Yeah. As, as well. Yeah. But. So so but it's just like again the whole sequence is just great. Like him going through step by step how to frame. And, you know how all the stuff that Evans, uh, Chris Evans's character Ransom is his name, or yeah. Hugh Ransom Drysdale, uh, has done, and all the steps and all the all the things about like when he realized that Marta actually didn't kill him and how he was going to get that revenge, and, and then and then and then Chris Evans was the one who hired Benoit, right? Yes, and then what was the reason behind that again? He was like, well, basically because it's like. The in the papers it was said suicide because he slashed his throat. Right. He still needs Marta to be guilty. Right. Right. To yeah. to 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 you know knock her off the inheritance. So basically, because now you know normally it would have been oh he died they're going to investigate oh an overdose oh Marta was giving him the injection okay he killed him now that it's a suicide you know everybody's like well you know he killed himself so she still get the stuff so he has to hire Blanc to basically find out. Oh no! Actually, Marta killed. Right, him. right, yeah. Um, and 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 yeah. And so, and the whole scene is just, it's just so twisty and turny. And, and, it, it's, and, and it, the performance of Craig here is—it's again—he's eating up that scenery in the best way possible. He's so—you can tell that's like okay, this is a classic detective character. Like this is just like this is exactly what an Agatha Christie detective would do. This is exactly like you know certain versions of like you know if you watch like like the the Cumberbatch Sherlock this is what he does it's just like that eating up like you here is the reveal here's how I've pieced everything together boom and then the whole the whole big thing the, the last little thing is that technically speaking obviously we know nobody killed Harlan he actually committed suicide so they can't arrest you know uh uh, Marta, but mm-hmm. they also can't arrest Ransom because Ransom, you know, most he's going to get is arson. Right. But then they talk about Fran, this other housekeeper. And so then, you know, it's like one of the things the last time we saw her, Marta was trying to save her life, where again, the whole plan, again, was that Ransom was going to do a phone call to be like, oh, like, look, she killed him, her too. And then, you know, it's just going to be all this sort of stuff. She's going to put her hands, but then Marta, instead of like running away, decides to help her, tries to save her. Marta gets a call. From the doctor, mm-hmm. and they're and she's like, "Oh, Fran's alive." And then Brock's like, "Great, we're gonna get her statement. We're gonna get you." And then and then, you know, Ransom basically is like, "Look, what are you gonna give me? Attempted murder, arson for burning down the building? You got nothing on me. I'm gonna make your life a living hell, Marta." Right. Basically confesses. Basically to confesses it. to and it. And then she throws up all over his face, and then she's like, "Ah, oh, Fran's dead." <laughs> Which is great because the best part about yeah, that is that she a, gets the call, and then. Her immediately is like, that's good news. And then you can immediately imagine the doctor on the other side and be like, what? <laughs> like, okay, thanks. That, yeah, and again. But it's like, again, the reveal is just like, he throws up all over her and then. Such a smart reveal. Like, you know, I'm always one to like, I always, like, I don't like to just throw out like, oh, this is so smart and this is yeah. so smart. This was smart. Like, yeah. all the way in which this entire third act is like plotted is super smart because, and again, we are not giving justice to how much like all the reveals like uh, pay off everything that was planted and how it's like weaved into what's going on in the moment. 
uh, and how it connects to things going on earlier Edited in the film. Super well, super very well. well. I mean, all of it is it, it's just really good. And then top it all off with Daniel Craig just like just masterfully yeah. like you know like uh, spouting off the dialogue. It's just it's all it's all great. Uh, yeah, and then of course Chris Evans tries to kill Marta, yeah. but you know yeah. again also planted. He takes a prop knife, doesn't realize right. the prop knife gets arrested. And then that's basically the movie Marta Marta wins. Yeah, she but gets, by she playing gets, her own game. Yeah, she she gets the um, she gets the inheritance. Uh, and uh, one of the other things, it, it was interesting that you said that thing about Ben Juan, like you know the warmth with the mom and everything. Because one thing I will piggyback off of that is that I did think that the benefit in retrospect of having his character in the movie is that it kind of offered this slight sense of security. Uh, for especially for Marta, so it didn't feel like you know you have your character of Marta, and then it's just like her against uh, the entire family. Right. There was a sense that like because Benoit obviously like was like friendly towards her, and you kind of know where his allegiances lie. Mm-hmm. It, it was kind of like that unofficial like co-hero uh, type thing, and and I think it just I think in retrospect, with looking back on it, it was just a good addition to balance everything out in, in, in the film, and then leads up to like their final moments in together where it's like oh they're kind of like you know buddies <laughs> and, then, and then and then that all that all worked um and and you know and you know i think i'm sure a lot of people have gotten into this about like the all the bigger thematic implications of like you know this uh long standing um be, well and it's not even just like the th- the background thematics it's in the actual text of the movie about like this uh family of inherited wealth um and you yeah. know here's like this guy who's trying i guess trying to do the right thing by cutting off the inherited wealth at, at a certain point for people um who really at this point that's just what their lives are yeah. like you know the only person i think that because right, this whole thing again harlan because it's like it may be too late to fix it but i hope i can right before i die and of course he dies well because right there's that. the sense that other than maybe jamie lee curtis nobody else in the family has made anything of, of themselves but even but even jamie lee curtis's character got a million dollar loan from her father to start the real estate business so true she's, true she's still even true her, even i her, i think her she, biggest sin is how mad she was when she wasn't gonna get the inheritance yes. like i think right. that was like the biggest like yeah uh like it's funny because she at first has the but, least uh, amount of sin and then yeah, shows he, to be he, maybe the worst of yeah, them yeah she's definitely like the ringleader of like we gotta you know this is not fair and all this sort of stuff right a uh, couple of last points uh uh, things to point out again just shouting out things like frank oz when he's like you could just the whole family's been shouting at him the whole night you just cut to him and it's like i've told you once i've told you a million times like he you can't just say he's of not of sound mind like he was a sound mind at the time that he wrote this so it's done right and then and then the great moment where he's like well we know that lawyers use this and he's finally like thank you and he finally just like leaves <laughs> that's great um i also got i love um the Trooper Wagner character of Noah Segan's. I just yeah. think like a little, a lot of little. Oh right, because he's like a fanboy. He's of, like a fanboy uh, yeah. of Harlan and of like kind of an all of Blanc. But there's a couple of great moments where like Blanc's in the middle of his big speech at the end, and then uh, the other detective, like Lake Shiv, is like, uh, "All right, Blanc, like we get it. Like what, what, what?" He's like, "We have to be like, well, what's like we got to figure." This. And then like he's like, "Shh, yeah, like right, that's great." Right. I also love the little joke where like you know, Crace just getting into this big like thing where he's like. And there is a culprit that is guilty in the true sense of the word of acting it with malice intent to harm. Trooper Wagner is like calling him in. And then Marta's like, Trooper Wagner? <laughs> and then Bonk's like, no, no. And then Brian brings in Wansom. 
Uh, and then even just like, you know, him in that last scene where, you know, cause just that the way he says this line always makes me laugh where like they're in the last scene where they're talking about Fran, the housekeeper and like, you know, her involvement in this. And then Marta's like that, that Hallmark movie she was talking about, like to me at the party with Danica McKellar. And then Noah's saying is like me, like deadly bright surprise. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He, he was great. He was great. Um, in the movie. There's and, also a great, uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt cameo. Yes. Yes. Speaking so, of, uh, Ryan Johnson favorites. Yeah. So obviously Joseph Gordon Levitt was in brick and looper, uh, also makes a cameo in brothers bloom and in the last Jedi. Um, like uh, so sort of thing. So he basically has appeared in all of Ryan's movies. So at the beginning of the movie, you know, right, like the f- kind of first thing we see with Marta is like her sister's watching like a, some crime show mm-hmm. on her iPhone, and it's just like you just hear it's like we got the nanny cam footage, like this, yeah. like, oh, so over the top. Uh, but that's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. As yeah, well. that that's that is that's really funny. Yeah. Um, and I, I was trying to. I, I've had another. I had another. Thought. I think. I mean, we. It's our quote, but we got to talk. The donut line is the best. It's just the best line. Yeah. His little donut yeah. rambling. Is yeah. Just, he basically just... describes the entire case to a donut being within a donut. Yes. Which, I mean, you you've heard the you've heard the you, quote. you've heard the quote. Um. Um. There's just, uh, I mean, it's a movie worth watching. I mean, yeah. if you'd heard us go through this. And no, we... I've definitely, I, I've gone from thinking it's good to great to really, really good. It just over the course of like the last couple days and recording this because it really is just well done. It, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's, it's, it, you just get to the end of the movie and then you realize how masterfully it's woven together. I can't stress that enough because I was like kind of in awe by like how all the plot points came together in a way that I I, I definitely wa- wasn't expecting. Um, and on top of just like all the characters and the and the great direction and the ener- and the energy behind it. Um, and and I kind of had the thought that I think that you that you kind of told me and this was way before I saw the movie was I, I just want another one. <laughs> I want another one so bad, yeah. and it, and it's because because they really set it up in a good way. Because ultimately they they set up a narrative where you kind of just have Benoit Blanco case to case. He's not the main character of right. the. He's just kind of like there because it's a mystery, and he'll ultimately maybe figure out like the final piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, I think you've set up like a really good like movie or two yeah, with totally. this one. Um, and again, it's like. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but um, it's just like you could put it in any situation, any part of the United States, like any sort of little mini world. Yeah. Because again, like this is like outside of Mass, it's like it's outside of Massachusetts, big wealthy family with you know with with you know kind of seeming like the thing again they like, kind of treat their house like seemingly their housekeepers are part of the family, but like treating them a little, like what do they really care about? That you know exactly what that world is, and just placing Blanc in that world is it works. So the only two questions I have uh, before be and and obviously I you can kind of put those in my final thoughts. I thought the movie was just yeah. just excellent. Um, but the two two things: uh, a if Harrison Ford was anybody, who would he be in the movie? If we had to do a late cast, oh, he's the Netflix executive that's trying to get the rights from Walt. Yes, and, and so because yes. there's the whole right. thing where like I like that because the whole thing with Walt is that he doesn't. Uh, you know, Harlan doesn't want any film adaptations or, or like mini series about his work, but Walt's like the money's there and there's an offer on the table. So Harrison Ford's definitely that executive. Like, 
come on, you know that this elephant one is really grown a great, great Netflix movie. Yeah, I, I like that. That's good. That's good. Um, and uh, my last question is, so what's up with the knife chair? It's like everything else in the like. What do you mean? Like just with like what's the deal? Like what? what why? Why is it the way that it is? Oh, I mean, well, I just know Ryan Johnson. I know there's a re like. I mean, to explain like it's basically like a chair it, of knives. Yeah, it's a chair with, of knives asking, that like, all with, point with, in a circle. To like, what's the deal? What's, what's within the, the deal context of the world of the movie, both. Like, well, obviously, it's a choice. Um, well, it's a nice visual, and again, it has like comes into the thing. But the whole thing about that and most of the other things in the house is that it's something that's representative of one of Harlan's works. It's something from one of his works because like you, you see, I think Noah might mm. mention it at one point, but like Noah Sagan's trooper Wagner keeps mentioning this where it's like, you know, the trick window is from like this specific book. And like the, mm. the, the, it was like the menagerie trilogy is like why there's all these like elephants and, and like creatures in like the woods so I think the knife chair within the context of the world is from another one of Harlan's mm. books, like another kind of. I'm thing. surprised there's no there's not like some Ryan Johnson like this is what this is supposed I, to mean or like. Uh, I probably, probably there might be is yeah. I might have like missed that in my research. Yeah, but, maybe. But, uh, but again, maybe he was very disappointed that he wanted to keep the knife chair, but then again, all the knives were rented, so they had to put they had to take the chair apart. Right. When he when the movie was over. Cool. Cool. All right, let's wrap this. Let's wrap this baby up. All right, so uh, the movie released uh, for Thanksgiving of 2019 last year, um, and was very, very successful. Made 165 million in the United States, and off the back of Craig, made 312 million worldwide. So it was a big worldwide success, which uh, I don't think even Ryan was expecting. Um, but it was basically noted as basically one of the highest grossing, if not the, and it might be the highest grossing original movie of that year. Yeah. Because I think like the biggest thing, especially in the States was that like, oh, uh, it's kind of like a twisted, like Thanksgiving right. like release. Cause it's all about like, oh, family and family getting together. Come see this, like this movie. Um, and it was very successful. People just loved it. You know, very you know, ninety seven on Rotten Tomatoes. The cast was most specifically, especially Craig and Anna de Armas, uh, and a lot of love for Tony Collette. I will say a lot of love for her. Yeah, all the way around online. Um, eventually, the movie did get nominated for one Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, Ryan's first Academy Award nomination. Um, and both Craig and de Armas were nominated for Golden Globes as well. One thing to note is that Ryan said that he had originally, at the end of the credits, put a little bit of a Benoit Blanc will return in with a fictional title, kind of giving an Agatha Christie vibe, but he didn't want to jinx the movie. He didn't mm. want to say, like, I don't want that at the end, and then the movie flops sort mm. of thing. Right, so, right. Um, but he did say that he had at least three or four other Benoit Blanc ideas in his head, Craig has been very forward about he would love the return to the character. He loved working with Ryan. Uh, and in fact, he did love working with Anna de Armas so much that he helped her get a role in No Time to Die. Oh, oh, nice. That's so that's awesome. why she's in that movie, because they had a great time working. And again, that script, you know, obviously with the delay, that was all being kind of worked in. So obviously they had a lot of time together on the movies. So he got her one of the lead, well, main female roles in No Time to Die. Do you have any, like, kind of, like, what what would be your hopes for another one? Like, just kind of, like, or is it, or are you just kind of, like, just do whatever I'm kind of a do whatever. I, I think that kind of was finding another world to kind of put him in, just, like, kind of another unique world. So I'm thinking maybe 
you could go like west coast maybe maybe like you could either do like obviously california would be that one but i think like kind of a weird portland mystery would be yeah, kind of cool yeah. or like you know something very distinctive like like kind of a like a southwestern too, like arizona or, or texas type of thing i think the key for me would just make it make the mystery because it's kind of funny because i actually don't mind i think if all like the tropes i would i wouldn't mind keeping those but i would just want it to be a completely different mystery yes like i, I don't know if i would want it to be like a family. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't even know if I would want it to be a murder. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe, a kidnapping or yeah, something. maybe it's a kidnapping or something stolen be, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I think I think that would very much. Somebody's work. been framed already. Like yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. that would be cool. I, I'm just, I'm like, I'm ready for more Benoit Blanc. But yeah. but it is confirmed that a, a sequel is in development with Lionsgate and you, Ryan Johnson. You know? Oh, it is. It's it, yes, it is. Oh, hundred hundred percent confirmed. Yeah. Because, because again, Craig has basically since the movie came out, like has just talked about how he thinks Ryan's an amazing, like, oh, amazing wow. person. Because, because, because Craig has also talked about that he's a big fan of Ryan's work. Like he loves Brick, loves Looper. So, um, I he may have mentioned Brothers Bloom, but uh, that might just lead into our thoughts of Brothers Bloom. But I know he's like mentioned Brick and Looper specifically as like movies he's enjoyed. Well, it's funny because you're right. I, I am. I do want to see Benoit Blanc in it. I do want to see Craig return to the character. But I, I have to be honest. I, I came out of this movie like being like, oh man, Ryan Johnson made a, like a great movie. Yeah. And like, I want to see him do another one. Yeah. So it's just one of those things. It, it, it's so interesting to me because going like watching this movie all the little things that I thought I didn't like about the, about him in the past, I, I thought kind of showed up a little bit, but it turned out that like, oh no, he he actually like built off of them in great ways, mm-hmm. and it, it it's just watching a director's career is just is so yeah. fascinating sometimes. Yeah, and and this is one of those cases oh, yeah. where I just took a complete not maybe a one eighty, but a definitely a ninety degree yeah. turn. I will say that the the sequel to Knives Out or another Benoit Blanc movie was greenlit on February sixth of this year. So mm-hmm. um, Ryan has been working, started working on that script. Well, he he has plenty of time to yes. polish it out now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, one last story I should mention. This is my favorite kind of post release story. Mm-hmm. Is that one Danica McKellar, who mm-hmm. is a real person, of course? Yeah. Uh, is a Hallmark star, mostly of the Christmas movies, but she went to see the movie just because she wanted to see it and was very flattered that she was not mentioned not just once but twice <laughs> and became a big part of the end of the movie. That's fine. Uh, and then, as a thank you, sent Ryan Johnson a knife that said deadly by surprise. Oh, that's cool. But like, it was like really really sweet. Like her, her like Twitter and Instagram post about it was just so like glowing of just like, I just went to see this movie because I thought it looked cool. And I like, I like Daniel Craig. And then all of a sudden, like my name's mentioned in the movie and it's like, it was just like really nice. And then Ryan like tweeted her back, like, me and the, me and my wife are big fans of the Hallmark Christmas movies, so course, we needed to. Of course to, they are. Because everybody is. Yeah. Uh, but I just thought that that story was really, really yeah. fun. Deadly by surprise. Ooh, maybe the other one is a, is a Christmas movie. Ooh, a, ho- kinda... a holiday kind of focused one. Yeah, that would be that'd be fun. I just like putting Blanc in these in these weird worlds with weird characters. Like even if it was like a group of friends or, or like hey, or people that you didn't know, really I, know. I didn't mention or, this. One of the other geniuses about that character is that they don't make him like a they really only hint at his real adeptness 
as like a as like a uh, as a detective. Like they don't make him like a Sherlock detective where he was just like he he's definitely intuitive and he figured everything out. It doesn't like he has like kind of like that weird like superpower where right. he's like it's like oh like the it, it was raining and, on your boots yesterday. And, and I also like, but it's like little things. Sorry to it's just like there's little things like where he suspects that there's like somebody went in here. So then he pulls out a magnifying glass and it, it was just. Things were grounded in in such a way that kept him from being like a superhero detective, and and I appreciated that level of competence. Oh, you know what the knives chair might be? Because the movie's called Knives Out. Yeah, which is <laughs> which is from a Radiohead song. Right, right, right. But it's also because I've heard Ryan talk about this a number of times. This is just a theory, and you'll find it's funny. It may be kind of because Ryan throughout his whole career has said one of his biggest visual influences is Cowboy Bebop. Oh, okay. And it might be kind of like, it's, it's like definitely a thing that like a Cowboy Bebop or like an anime thing would kind of do, just kind of like this kind of weird knife chair. I kind of feel like that's one of the things he thinks he takes from that. I don't know. It's just a theory. All right. Um, but cool. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely itching for more Benoit Blanc. Yeah. And I'm happy because I was like, even like a comic book miniseries, but I was going to say the one last thing I was going to say is that it's nice that to me that they kind of just tout him as great. Like, oh, you you solved the tennis star case, like that one. Mm. But they don't really like go overboard and being like his like credentials and stuff. It's just kind of you have to just buy him as again a super lean, super well, because, efficient like, you, movie. You do the thing where it's like you know, like at the end, like there's a, one last thing is like Marta like has you find out that Marta has like a little piece of blood on her. Oh, shoulder. that was the moment I was going to mention. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. That was awesome because they show it like it's going to be a huge gotcha in the movie. Like that she and has then, like a drop of blood on her shoe. But that kind of goes back to the Benoit Blanc thing I was just saying previously about where it shows like, oh, that's, it, again, it, it was this beautifully subtle way of showing that he really is a super detective. Yeah. Because he's like, well, I know that you were kind of... Well, because like, Marta's like, how did, like, at what point did you know I was involved with the death? Right. And then he's like, oh, because you have Like the first blood. moment, the moments I saw you, he points at the right. shoe. And, and I love, I love that. I love that they didn't make it like a flashy thing, but it's still like super like, you yeah. know, like that's and why again, he's it's that the great warmth, detective. It's that yeah. warmth about him where it's just like, he knows Marta's a good person. Yeah. There's something he, she like, she knows more, maybe she is or isn't the murderer or whatever it may be but let's just kind of like he's not going to be like you have that blood on your shoe he's going to like let that sue because he just generally like wants to see where this is going to go yeah this was a pretty good movie this this was yeah. this was definitely ve- if, this if was you've very gone, good if you've gone through us rambling and trying to kind of break it down and you still haven't seen it just still yeah like, it's it, still, I, I but should the thing say is like even if you've already been spoiled even if you haven't seen it, you've been spoiled through the whole thing it's still such an entertaining and well put together movie that it's just so Good to watch. Well, like I said, I mean, you know, despite the plot, it's again we still haven't we we could not give justice to just how it was how well directed it was the little twists and turns every plan and payoff. So do it do yourself a favor check out this movie. Uh, you guys have plenty of time to watch it. Yeah, go Man, go and, and watch it. It's gonna be easy to find. You can easily yeah. find it on like Amazon Prime or something like that. Cool. And then uh, yeah, and then as far as Craig goes, it's I'm glad to see him uh, play a character that he actually seems to want to play. And I'll be interested to see where his post Bond career goes yeah. from here. But I'm ready for him for more Benoit Blanc. Cool. All right, so um, that wraps up this episode, but I do know where we're going next you, time. You can tell us where we're going with Bond. I, I do not have uh, an immediate uh, announcement for Godzilla, so at least a, it, surprise. Just uh, wet our beak a little with where we're going at with Bond next. All right, so uh, our next uh, Bond-adjacent slash Bond type of episode is one that 
it's probably been coming for a long time. One of the more obvious choices for us to do one a movie that you are definitely familiar with you've definitely seen uh we're going to be taking a look at kingsman the secret service oh yes yes that'll be a fun which one. i'm going to be very interested to revisit yeah because you when's the last time you saw it first time you showed it to me oh it was like a couple years oh, ago so you haven't seen it in a while i haven't seen it in a while i'm going to be very curious to see how i react to it now cool all right well uh that's it i'm done you're done uh and plug away all right, we are uh, be able to be found at bondzillapod at gmail.com, twitter.com slash bondzilla77, facebook.com slash bondzilla77, like and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. And uh, it's a good time to go back to your favorite episodes as well. We, uh, are, we are approaching, if we haven't hit it already, um, like 100 episodes. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Like total? I think so. Well, well, a hundred things on SoundCloud. Yes. That includes like our news episodes and stuff. So basically like a hundred recordings. So there's plenty of time to, to go back and, and, and enjoy your favorites or maybe ones you've missed if you are uh, uh, joining us later. But there's there's lots of time out there, folks. So enjoy yourselves and right. see this movie. All right. And uh, so uh, take care. Peace. Peace.